and we're recording. How are you doing today, Aaron? Doing well. How are you? I am doing well. Yeah. Uh, how's church? Church was good. I enjoyed it. We had a nice service, and then I served in the nursery after. Oh, okay. Uh, what kind of church do you go to? I go to a non-denominational church. It's called 242, and oh. it's in Okemos. Okay. Yeah. We went to an event. Um, uh, it was like Meridian Township. It was, it was celebrating Meridian Township. And 242, I think, was the sponsor. Yeah, there were a yeah. lot of volunteers there. They had, like, a big call to ask for volunteers. So with a one-year-old, I was like, eh, I don't know if I really <laughs> want to try to do that. So Did you I, do it? I ducked out. No. Oh, you ducked out. Wow. Wow. Why didn't announce that on the air? <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought it was actually pretty cool. I mean, the event was pretty big. They had a lot of things there, and everybody was super friendly. And, yeah, it was, it was kind of a cool, neat experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Well, I'm glad you had a good time. Yeah, I did. <laughs> um, now, 242, that's a pretty big church, correct? It is. Yeah, definitely. They have three services on Sundays. And okay. I, I couldn't tell you how many people attend, but it's definitely a larger church. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, They. you could tell that they have a pretty large base. Mm-hmm. They do. Yeah. But it's funny because I've been to a lot of large churches over the course of my lifetime. I grew up in the church. Um, but then. Did when, you grow up in non denominational? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, although Salvation Army is the first church I attended for like the first few years of my life. I don't remember what denomination is, but I feel like it's not non denominational. <laughs> um, but then when I was in elementary school, a new church opened um, where I grew up in Troy. And that's non denominational. Um, Kensington Community Church, if anyone's familiar, they have lots and lots of different um, campuses in the Detroit area. Okay. Um, and we started going there in elementary school. And so I stuck with non denominational churches in general. So and then we started attending 242 in, I think, August of 2020, back when they opened up, um, a lot of churches hadn't been opened yet, but my husband were like, we really want to get into an in-person church. So we decided to try 242 and I felt more at home at a large church than I ever have. I wasn't expecting to feel that way, but we got plugged in right away and it's been really awesome. Do you think you blend in a little bit better because there's so many people? Um, probably, um, because it's really easy to just duck in and duck out. (laughs) It really is. But I feel like at 242, they make such a big emphasis on trying to get to know people. Mm. And so I feel like we we met some people like the first time that we went um, and we got plugged in in a small group right away. And um, and that's that makes it easier to get to know people if you actually try to get in there. Um, but so I'll go and I'll say hello to many people when I'm there. A lot of people know my name. so And my son, because he's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> How old is your son? He is almost one year and five months old. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so he's pretty little. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, kids that age are just inherently cute, generally. Yes, but I swear <laughs> mine would win the cutest baby on the planet award if there was one. Or at least that, he'd be in the top ten or something. That sounds like a biased opinion. <laughs> it is, but he is so cute. I'll show you pictures when we're done. Okay, all right. <laughs> So you're originally from Troy. Mm-hmm. Yep, okay. that's where I grew up. I was born in Royal Oak, and then I grew up in Troy, and then I went to MSU for my undergrad, and then I moved back home briefly after my student teaching year was done um, in my with my parents. They had moved to a house in Lake Orion near the Palace of Auburn Hills, or what used to be the Palace. It's yeah, gone. That's sad. Um, yeah. Uh, it's it's interesting because every time I go visit, I'll drive by and I'll look to see like what has happened to the area. And when it was just in ruins, I was like, that looks so weird. And then it was just like a giant massive parking lot with nothing in it. And then sometimes I drive by and there's tons and tons of cars that are stored there. GM um, cars? 
I don't know, but I know you work for GM. I do. <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you what cars they were, but lots of cars were there. Um, but anyway, um, and then, so I lived with my parents for a very short time, and then I moved back to Lansing because I got my full-time teaching job, and that was about seven and a half years ago. Oh, okay. So do you notice a significant difference in, like, community and just the atmosphere from where you're from and then Lansing? What, I mean, and, and also, what was some of, like, the the biggest struggles moving here? Um, I think that the community is definitely different because Lansing is the capital. It's really, mm. it's a city. It's a yeah. bustling city with lots of suburbs around it. But I lived in Troy, which is a suburb itself. Um, and it's lots of um, houses with subdivisions and a um, couple of malls here and there, lots of churches and things. But it's, it, there's not like, I don't think there's a downtown Troy. Not really. Um, so... I feel like, um, and Troy was so big. There's so many people that live there and then there's so many communities around it and Lansing's similar. Um, so I feel like in both places, you really have to make your own community mm, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the toughest things about moving to Lansing, I think just being an hour and a half away from my family oh, and yeah. all of the friends that I had at, at the time. Um, and I made some friends during college, but they didn't really stick. And then I made some friends during my year of student teaching and they didn't really stick too much either. So I moved back and I was like almost starting over. <laughs> um, so that was really hard. And it's especially hard because I'm an introvert too. Mm -hmm. So I don't naturally branch out um, to try to find people and make friends. And I still can't say I have very many friends. But that's a good thing though, because somebody who has a lot of friends, I'm like, I don't know if I can trust you. Like, I don't want somebody to be my friend necessarily if they have a mm. ton of friends. Cause I'm like, am I going to be a priority to you? Mm. You know, yeah. like, yeah. It, can I call you and expect, not expect, but can I call you and request your help for something? And you, you're going to be like, yeah, I'll drop what I'm doing to come help you. Right. Yeah. I, I had some friendships like that too, where like, I thought they were my best friend. I was not their best friend. So that's, uh, that's been hard. <laughs> that's, that's something that's unfortunate. And you learn as you get older that, you know, like not everybody is your friend. Right. Cause like for me, uh, I just naturally assume that people are good and I want to be friends with everybody, but not everybody has that same perspective. Right. They'll act like your friend and then stab you in the back. <laughs> Hopefully you haven't been backstabbed too many times in your life. No, no, I, I think that's one of those things you learn, right? You yeah. kind of learn what to see in people, mm -hmm. like traits. You're like, okay, I don't like that trait. You're not my friend. Like, I'm, I don't really want to associate with you. Right, yeah. You got to be you, careful. You get used to feeling a person's vibe, and then yeah. you can you you can get a feel for them usually. Yeah. yeah, you can generally tell if they're a good person or not. Right. Yeah. So uh, you went to MSU, and you studied... You elementary went to education. Elementary education. Yeah. Why would you want to do that? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> so I grew up loving kids, especially little kids. Um, as soon as I turned 13, I was babysitting. That's how I made a lot of money and, and grew up a nice bank account before I went off to college. So I did a lot of babysitting and I really enjoyed it. And I volunteered in my church's nursery as soon as I, I think I got into sixth grade. That's like the youngest that you're allowed to be. So as soon as I at that age I was in my church nursery and so I just had all this experience with kids and I couldn't really see myself doing anything else mostly because I probably just hadn't thought about it um <laughs> but I couldn't I, di I didn't really consider anything else as options so then I was like all right well um I was a junior in in high school that's when you start making those decisions I was like all right I'm applying to MSU and I'm gonna go into elementary ed because they have the best program in the country for that MSU and, does mm -hmm. really 
Yep. I, I don't know if it's still that way, but as of a number of years ago, yeah, they had the, the top program for elementary education, not necessarily secondary, but um, elementary. Yeah. Um, so then I went there and um, I pursued my degree. Do you think that it's difficult to, because like one of the things is like, especially for the educational system, when you go to college for that, you get in all this debt to go. And do you think it's worth it in that aspect? Um, so luckily for me, I don't have any debt. Um, oh. So my you grandparents- made that much money babysitting? No. no. I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> if only. No. Um, my grandparents on my mother's side, they were farmers. They worked really, really, really hard. And my grandpa put away enough money to pay for a Michigan Education Trust Fund Whoa. for my two oldest cousins and my older brother and then me. Um, so I had my full four-year degree paid for wow. already, which is super nice. So um, I think if I didn't have that, I probably would not have chosen to go to MSU. And I probably would have reconsidered teaching just because, I mean, everybody knows teachers don't make a whole lot of money. So yeah. good luck trying to pay all of that back. Yeah. Um, and so luckily I don't have to worry about that. But one thing that's um, actually come up at my school is that a lot of teachers do still have debt from college. And so they've actually been um, trying to, I don't, I don't know the program exactly, but there's a way to apply for debt forgiveness mm. um, for what they have left. And it, it applies, I think, to public school teachers but unfortunately with the nature of my school being online and um, it being underneath the umbrella of Pearson um, the teachers at my school are not considered like teacher employees they're just employees and so for some reason they're not willing to do the debt forgiveness for any of the teachers at my school well yeah so you said Pearson Yes. What, what is Pearson? So Pearson is um, a company. A lot of people probably know about them. Like if you look at textbooks and uh, okay. different curriculum items, um, they are one of the big like textbook makers. Oh, okay. um, so Pearson is the, the big, big company um, that kind of runs all of the Connections Academy schools that... I'm a part of. So I um, am a teacher at Michigan Connections Academy. And then there are multiple Connections Academy schools across the whole country. So what is Michigan Connections Academy exactly? I mean, what's the difference between that and like the, the public school system? Right. So uh, Michigan Connections Academy is a virtual <clears throat> school. It is a public charter. So it's not a private school. It doesn't cost any money for students to attend, which is really great. Um, and we service students all across the entire state of Michigan, including the far reaches of the UP, where they're technically oh. in the central time zone. So I've actually had students in the central time zone before. Um, so it is a virtual public charter. So um, it's not any... It's not a school that students are automatically enrolled in. Like the the building is technically an Okemos, but Okemos students are not like assigned to go to our school. Um, so parents have to seek it out and enroll their students in it. I think I've... I think I might have seen like you guys at events or something passing stuff out. Before. That's very possible. Yeah, it might have been yeah. some booths in different places. I know I've actually heard a couple of radio ads before. Also, okay. I've actually seen ads on Facebook too. Really? Which I hide because I'm like, okay, I'm a teacher there, so I don't, I don't need to see this <laughs> ad on my Facebook every day. So, what kind of students are you guys looking for? Are you looking for people who struggle going to school or people who 
don't necessarily want to go to like a physical school? That's what? a great question. So it varies by student. We have a lot of students from all different backgrounds that attend our school for lots of different reasons. So one of the big ones is that some parents are simply dissatisfied with their local public school mm. um, for whatever reason. A lot of it is safety. We do have a lot of students who live in um, Detroit and a lot of students who live in Flint. A lot of parents are really nervous about sending their students. Where's to the highest schools. population? Um, definitely Wayne County. Is Whoa. That's where most of our students are from. So Wayne County and Ingham County, I think, and um, whatever county Flint is in. Those are like our mm. three biggest counties. And then Grand Rapids is really big like as well. Genesee County, I think. Yeah, right. something like that. So those um, we have a lot of students from those different places. So a lot of parents simply oh. dissatisfied or they don't, have, they don't feel safe sending their students to that school. Um, other parents want to homeschool, but they don't feel as confident in their abilities to actually teach their students themselves, especially when it gets to the upper grade levels where you're teaching like algebra or um, calculus or, you know, stuff that's a lot more complicated. Um, So we don't consider students to be homeschooled at our school. They are schooling from home. Um, What's the difference? So, well, uh, homeschool is typically when a parent is teaching their student and they find a curriculum, whatever curriculum that they want to teach their kids. um, I was homeschooled. Yeah. At one point. Yeah. Okay. I have never been homeschooled and I've never homeschooled, but I might like to try one day (laughs) when my kids are older. I think you would be good at it. Obviously, you went to school for it. So you're qualified. I did. So I feel pretty confident going into (laughs) being able to teach my kids. Um, Maybe once it gets to some of the upper high school curriculum, I might feel less confident, but definitely in like the elementary, middle school, I could probably handle it. Um, (laughs) Although I can't say that I'd be able to handle it when my kids are all different ages. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know how some parents do it. I'm sure they do. Don't know how. I have a friend who, um, they have like seven or eight kids and they homeschooled every one of them. Wow. And they're all obviously different ages. Right. It's like, whoa. That's super impressive. How do you manage that? Right. How do you do that? I would have to learn like a from full-time homeschool job. parents. Oh, That's yeah, like absolutely. A full-time, more than a full-time job. Yeah, 100%. I, if I decided to homeschool one day, I would not also have a job. <laughs> There's no way I could do it, I don't think. Um, but anyways, so homeschool, yeah, typically the parent is doing the teaching. Or I've heard of homeschool co-ops where maybe like kids will be sent to someone else's house and a parent does the teaching. Or I've heard of some actually hire teachers to do the teaching, which is pretty cool. Interesting. Um, whereas for us, it's not technically homeschooling because we provide the curriculum and the teachers. Mm. So the parents are what we call a learning coach. Um, So the learning coach role is where you are making sure that your student is doing the lessons that they're assigned, that they're going to their live lessons each day, that they're communicating with their teacher, that you're communicating with the teacher so you know what's going on, checking on student grades, helping when they get to an assignment that's kind of difficult, things like that. So what does a normal day typically look like for you? If it's online, uh, what age categories are you working working with or like I teach grades? sixth grade. Sixth so grade. So typically okay. the students are between 10 and 12 years old. Okay. Most of the time, occasionally a 13-year-old if they had been retained in previous years or something like that. Um, but yeah, sixth grade and I teach science. So a typical day... Um, it depends on if I have a whole group live lesson or not. So with the teaching part of my job, most of the way that students learn the science course is independently with the lessons that they're assigned to do each day. So each week they have four science lessons that they do. 
And they take anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour, and it's lots of reading, and occasionally there's a video here or there, um, and that's mostly where the students learn. So then for me, when it comes to me actually teaching the science, I only do it once a week. So I have a live lesson every Tuesday from 1 to 2 o'clock. And um, so when I say live lesson, it's exactly what it sounds like. Picture like a Zoom, mm. um, but cooler because we can we can do all sorts of interesting things that I don't think Zoom has the capability of doing. Um and so I teach and I'll come up with a lesson plan where, you know, I might do a PowerPoint. I might show some videos. We might play some cool games, um, things of that nature. Um, so I only do that once a week, at least in the whole group setting. Um, so then the rest of the week, if it's a typical day, I'll often have a bunch of what we call biweekly calls or biweekly live lessons. So each teacher, or at least most teachers, have a homeroom of students. So for sixth grade, we have anywhere from 140 to 160 students, and I'm the science teacher for all of them. So that gets a little overwhelming, but that's very normal for middle school, um, where a teacher might just teach that one subject and kids rotate throughout the classroom all day long. So it's very similar to that. But then I'll usually have anywhere from 23 to 28 homeroom students, and those are also sixth graders, and they're kind of like... um, my top, they are my top priority in terms of the students that I'm paying the closest attention to. And I am like their go-to for most things school related. If they're struggling with something or if they have questions, obviously if it's like math, they would go to the math teacher. But um, if it's just general stuff, they come to me. And so for each homeroom student, I have a scheduled day and time slot with them for 30 minutes once every two weeks. So that's why it's called biweekly. So like every Wednesday at nine o'clock, I meet with Sam in my live lesson room and we spend time doing all sorts of different things. We look at the grade book. I answer questions. We might have some tasks, especially at the beginning of the year. I might say, hey, can you find this for me? Do you know the answer to this question? Do you know where to find this? Do you know how to do that? Because there's a big learning curve, especially for new students um, with the technology and the website that they have mm, to yeah. um, do everything through, which we call Connexus. That's the name of the website that we use. Um, so I'll have lots and lots of those bi-weeklies, um, throughout each day. Um, I'll also have students who book times to work with me. Um, so if they're struggling with something in science or maybe they need some help getting their grade up or something like that, they'll book a half hour time slot with me that works for them and fits on my Google calendar and I'll meet with them and we'll go over whatever it is they need to go over. Wow. Yeah. And so, then there's more. Oh, <laughs> I have meetings. Um, usually <laughs> I have like one hour long meeting a day, depending on what the day is. Or on average, I have one per day. Um, I think on Mondays I have two. Um, I do lots of grading. I do lesson planning where like I plan out my live lessons. And I also tend to write a lot of my own assessments because truth be told, the assessments in Connexus are not very good most of the time, Mm. (laughs) which is really unfortunate. And it's not just the case for my course. It's the case for most people's courses. A lot of us are just really dissatisfied. Why why haven't they changed it? Um, they, well, Pearson, um, it, or, Connections Academy schools are K through 12. So they have lots of grade levels, which also means lots of courses. Right. And there are lots of different states with different standards that they have to work with as well when they're considering what the assessment should entail. And I don't know exactly how big the teams are that work on the curriculum and the assessments. I don't know how much time they allot to doing these things. Um, I don't know if the same people writing the curriculum are the same people writing the assessments. Because sometimes they seem very disconnected (laughs) sometimes. Or sometimes (laughs) the assessments will just ask about some nitpicky question. I'm like, I don't care if my student knows that. There was literally one sentence in that lesson about it. That's not fair to ask him a question about it. Um, So just sometimes things like that. 
Um, so we write a lot of our own assessments. So I spend a lot of time doing that um, and writing assessments. I, I try to do a really good job when I do that. So I take a long time to figure it out and make sure um, it aligns with what the lessons are teaching and what the, what the um, state standards are and, and things like that. So that takes a lot of time. Um, I answer a lot of web mails, which are basically emails, um, but we call them web mails in our system. Um, from students and their parents who have lots of questions and um, I'll call students if I notice that you know they're like falling off the grid I'm like you haven't logged in in a few days you okay what's going on kiddo um, or hey I noticed you're failing my class can I help you bring your grade up things like that so um, yeah I do a lot of stuff so you guys were kind of ahead of the curve before COVID yes my school opened in 2010 so wow. we're going into our 13th school year. So wow. I'm very fortunate that I had been in this before COVID, um, especially because a lot of families came to our school During when COVID. COVID hit. Yes. And they were like, please enroll us at our school. And we we're like, well, um, the time for <laughs> enrollment has passed. But if you want to enroll in the fall, you can do that. Because the, the thing is, um, for our school, we don't let students just enroll at any point during the school year. We only allow families to enroll up until each count day for each semester. So the first count day of the school year is like mid-October. And then the next one is mid-February. Wow. So families only have about a month after we start each semester to get enrolled. Um, and so by March of 2020, it enrollment had long passed. Um, so a lot of families said like, okay, we'd still like to um, try you in the fall and see how it goes. And a lot of families were, no, we need a, a solution now. Bye. <laughs> wow. That is crazy. Yeah. So <laughs> did you guys, how big was the the jump in the amount of students you guys received? Um, it actually wasn't a lot. I think we got a lot of inquiries, but okay. luckily with our school, we've hit enrollment, like our max enrollment numbers pretty much every school year, which wow. is really great. So we didn't have a super duper big influx. It was more just a lot more students on the waiting list hoping to get in. Wow. So you, you guys are limited on how many students you can have like mm -hmm. per teacher and everything? Yes, I don't. I think the, the cap is a little bit different per grade level, I think, mostly because different grade levels have different numbers of teachers. Um, but yes, we do have a cap and we cannot exceed it. Whoa. That is that is kind of wild. Do you see, uh, have you ever worked in the public school system? Yes. Well, uh, kind of. Uh, so I, uh, during my undergrad, I spent a lot of time in classrooms and it was always okay. um, public schools in the Lansing area. Okay. And then I did my student teaching at Hope Middle School in Holt. And so that was almost a full academic year. And then after I was done with my student teaching and I moved back to Lake Orion, I did a lot of day-to-day -day subbing just kind of around. And I also had a long-term sub job at one point. I was in a middle school and I did seventh and eighth grade science. So do you see a difference in the way the kids interact online as opposed to how they were in person? Is there like a, would they, do, the, do you see them trying more? Are they working harder? Are they, or are they essentially the same? It, it totally depends yeah. um, because our students come from so many different backgrounds. We have a lot of students who are perfectionists and they want A pluses and everything. And if they don't get an A plus, they will cry. <laughs> they will. We've had that. Um, and it, that's exhausting both for them and for us. Um, goodness. Um, and you then you got an A, you're good. <laughs> right? Exactly. I'm like, it's just middle school. You don't have to have all A's. Like worry about that when you get to high school. Who but. is this kid? That's, I want to meet them. 
<laughs> oh no, you probably don't. Um, <laughs> um, but yes, we have we have students that try super super hard. Then we have the students who you know they do just fine. A B C students, you know, and then we have the students who could not care any less. They don't do anything at all. Um, I have a number of students each year, and it's so hard to see this happen, especially at sixth grade. Um, well, they'll they'll spend five minutes just like click click clicking through all their lessons and assessments and say, "I'm done with school for the day." We're like, <laughs> "No, you're not." And then we'll talk to the parents over and over and over about like, "Hey, are you watching your student? Are you making sure that they're doing what they need to do? Are you making sure they're going to their live lessons? You know, you could try like setting a timer on your phone for <laughs> these live lessons to make sure they go and and things like that." And we'll talk to the parents and the students until we're blue in the face and nothing ever changes. Um, so that's really, really disheartening, especially because we're, you know, we're at home or in Oklahoma's Lansing, wherever the teachers work, because now we work from home instead of in the office. Um, but we're however many miles away. Yeah. I, can't, I can't do anything, if, especially if you're going to ignore my webmails, ignore my calls, ignore my text, text messages. I'm going to, I'm going to try to explain to you every two weeks that you need to be doing X, Y, Z, but if you don't, there's nothing I can do about it. So. And how does it work in that situation? If somebody just skips through the lessons and they, they say they're done, do they fail the school year? What what happens? So kind of depends on that student's past and um, if they've been retained before. So um, we do retain students. It's um, definitely a common thing at our school. A lot of schools, like um, you'll hear about brick and mortar public schools where they have like never retained students, even if they fail everything. They don't do that anymore. Oh, uh, they do retain students sometimes? No, 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 they don't. Okay, right. Exactly. I mean, they might. In some places. It probably depends on the school district and the school. I I think you really have to fail. That's why I was asking because um, in the public school system, they will essentially just pass you. And I don't understand why. Right. There are, there are actually studies online um, that I've looked into and especially, you know, being a teacher that retention is actually more harmful to a student than um, simply pushing them on, even if they're not ready. So it's kind of one of those things like you, it, it sucks either way. Yeah. Like there's no winning in I mean, that situation. It, there's a form of trauma that's attached to it, right? Because yeah. you're wa- having to watch all your peers move forward. Yep. But make new friends. Yeah, and, exactly. And embarrassment. Yeah. Like, what? You're the old kid in our grade? <laughs> yeah. I, oh, I can't imagine. I, I don't understand it because I was a perfectionist growing up. So like mm. I was that A, B student. But you know? I just think that it takes something away from, from the people that would strive if they know that they're going to fail and that they're going to be held back. It pushes them into gear a little bit more, knowing that that could happen. Yeah, it can. So I've seen it to where we say like, hey, you failed all your courses or you failed most of your courses. So you're going to be retained and repeat the sixth grade next year. And I've seen a couple students where like the next year they pass all their classes. They get it together. And we're like, oh, my gosh, that's so great. I'm so proud of you. But most of the time, that's not the case. Most of the time it doesn't make a difference, which really stinks. And you never know. If yeah. it's if that kid is going to be the one to pull it together or if they're not until you actually try it. Um, but with retention, um, which we do do sometimes, um, it you can only retain a student like up to two, maybe three times until they get to the risk of aging out of school before being able to graduate. So what we try to do, at least at the sixth grade level, um, is we might retain a student one time 
But then after that, we're not going to retain them again because we want to try to give them the maximum opportunity to pass their courses in high school and be able to graduate before aging out. Mm. But if you keep retaining and retaining and retaining and retaining. It'll be 30 years old. Exactly. Right. Which is actually, (laughs) you cannot graduate. I think the rule is like you can't graduate after the age of 21. Oh, really? Or something like that. Yeah. So there's. From From your program. Yeah, or really, or, I think it's I think it's the state of Michigan. Really, actually, mm-hmm. I'd have to look into it, but definitely at least for our program, you cannot graduate beyond the age of twenty one. Oh. After that, you would need to like go get your GED. Okay. Um, but so because of that, and knowing how hard high school is, and like you have to pass the courses, you can't get the credit if you fail. Um, we try really hard to make sure that students actually have that chance. And being in the sixth grade, I don't follow students all the way up through high school. I don't know what um the percentages of students who get to like they be they're retained once in middle school and then they do pass all their courses in high school i don't know or at least be able to graduate on time yeah but yeah so there there is a reason why schools do pass kids along i know i've heard a lot about parents who are like i don't get it this is stupid the kid's not ready like you know there's it's I mean, it sucks either way. Yeah. It's one of those uh, situations. But yeah, so if we do have students who fail most or all of their classes, they are at a risk of retention. And we tell them that multiple times throughout the year. Sometimes it helps the students get it together before the end of each semester. Sometimes it doesn't. Now, for a lot of kids, going to school is kind of an escape from reality, from your home situation, from the abuse that's going on at home, from... um, it's just a way to like get out and socialize with other people. Like for me, that's what it was like Mm -hmm. for me going to school, helped me escape my, my home life. And, um, occasionally allowed me time, like time to talk with a, a counselor, you know, somebody who could essentially try to help me. Do you guys have anything like that in play for, for students we do. We have um, counselors okay. and social workers on our team, which is really mm. awesome. So this past school year, we actually hired a trauma specialist who I worked with closely because I did have a student who was really, really struggling in my homeroom to be successful. Um, so, um, yeah, so we do have some support for that. Um, but at the same time, you know, we're, we're not an escape. Our students yeah. are schooling from home. So yeah. if there is traumatic stuff going on at home and their home life is really hard, it stays really hard. Um, and the only thing we can do is support them from afar. And, and um, if it's a family that needs resources of some kind, we do have the ability to, you know, find certain resources in the area where they live um, and say, oh, hey, if you need you know, um, some, some food, like there's a food bank over here um, and things like that. So, but yeah, we do have a way of supporting them, but it is different. That is cool. But I mean, it's, it's important to have something, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, now how does all of this affect your home life? Cause you're online all day, I would assume. Mm -hmm. And you have kids and you're, you're a wife and you're home. Yeah. How does all this tie into your life? <laughs> yeah. So being, you sound busy. <laughs> I am, man, during the summer, I'm not, but I'm about to head into being very, very busy. Um, Cause the thing is the teaching job is never just, you know, normal full time, like 40 hours a week. We've yeah. been told by our administration that, you know, if there's grading to be done, you're expected to work more than 40 hours a week to make sure that gets, that, that gets done on time and that feedback is sent to students. So you, you don't get paid anymore. No, Whoa. no, it is salaried. So, okay. um, 
So it is definitely really hard, especially when, you know, I, I'm at home and my one-year-old is upstairs with my mother-in-law and I can hear. This episode is brought to you by Red Bike Delivery. This delivery service operates only using battery-powered, eco-friendly transportation. Red Bike Delivery is there for all your delivery needs, whether it's dinner for the family, flowers for your partner, or new houseplants for your new collection. Red Bike Delivery will gladly deliver those and everything in between. So what are you waiting for? Check out Red Bike Delivery on Facebook or Instagram for more information. Red Bike Delivery, because there's only one Earth. The walking, and if like, if he falls down and starts crying, I'm like, and so I have to like, either like, like, uh, fight to hold my face like normal if I'm like video chatting with a student so that they don't know anything's going on or I'm like bolting out of my seat to go upstairs and figure <laughs> out what's wrong and um, so th- that's hard and um, so he's a just him being upstairs is a constant distraction but it's a welcome one though because you know every once in a while I, yeah. I had a hard call so I want to go upstairs and hug my baby you know so that's kind of <laughs> nice um, and then I can help a little bit um, with you know making sure that he's like getting his meals and getting him upstairs so my mother in law has a little bit of difficulty moving around some so it's nice for for me to be there to help um but then if it's like four o'clock and my husband's home my husband will come downstairs at four o'clock and he'll like stare at me and like <laughs> why are you still working and I'm like well I want to finish this thing I just I need like 15 more minutes um and then sometimes it'll be like a Saturday and I'm like I really have to get these great this grading done and he's like but it's not but it's Saturday like why are you working <laughs> so you know so it's it is hard um some times of the year are harder than others sometimes like the beginning of the year I don't have any grading to do yet until like you know the first big test or something so um the first few weeks are fine and then you know the stuff gets start starts coming in and so I'm working why on grading ha- more why do you have to grade you would think it would be like automatic good question there's automated. a lot of different types of assessments some of them are auto graded and some of them are not so oh, okay. there are assessments called quick checks that are like four to six multiple choice questions at the end of most lessons that students do those are auto graded because they're multiple choice um, but anytime there is like some sort of project that's turned in I have to grade that or if it's mm. a test that has essay questions on it I have to grade the essay questions. And you have 120 some. 160. 160. <laughs> yeah. And they don't all get turned in at the same time, which is also a blessing and a curse. Um, because, <laughs> so I don't have like 160 tests turned in all in the same day, but at the same time, like I'll have a test from unit one that some kid turns in in like <laughs> December. And I'm like, this was due in September. What are you doing? <laughs> do they get credit for it still? They do. Yeah. So the interesting thing with my school is that the only deadline is the last day of the semester. So you could not show up. Well, the whole time. Okay, but if you didn't show up, you would tr- you would have trouble with truancy. So we didn't talk about that uh, earlier. But if there are students that literally just they don't do anything, they don't log in, they don't turn in lessons, they don't turn in assessments, they will get in trouble for truancy. And we do file in the county where a student lives if it gets to that point. So, so is there a certain amount of days or times that they have to check in? Like, do they have to check in in five days a week? Um, no. Um, which is also kind of neat for students that need some sort of like extra flexibility. Um, so the truancy comes in if like it gets to and it, I think it's like each lesson accounts for like an hour and a half of schoolwork, something like that. And so um, for each lesson that's not done, if a student has 20 overdue assessments that they should have done by now, take 20, multiply it by one and a half, I think it's 30. 
Yeah, that's 30. Um, and like that's the number of hours that they are behind. And then you can divide that by 6.1, which is would make it the number of days. So there's like a um, number of days where like if you are absent like 10 days, this is what happens with the, the truancy. Like you'll you'll get a letter about it and you'll have a phone okay. call with the truancy officer. So you if, can make it up essentially. Yes, you can. Mm-hmm, 100%. Um, so then coming back to the number of days per week kind of thing, that flexible schedule is really awesome. And that's also what draws a lot of students to our school as well um so as long as the students are getting their lessons done and they're passing their courses that's all they need so um we have some students who might do all of their schoolwork in three or four days and then they have an an extra long weekend all the time or, or some of the time um some students attend religious school um and so they are at the religious school for a certain number of hours per week. And so they need a little bit more flexibility with when they get their lessons done. So they might do a lot of extra work on the weekends or something So they like go to that. religious school and go to yeah. the, the academy? Those students what? tend to struggle a little bit because it is just such a big time commitment. But they, they do it. Most of them pass. So why are they going to two schools? Um, so the religious school, usually those students are Muslim. Oh, um, okay. And so they go and they mostly... I, from what I understand, they mostly learn the Quran um, and okay. a lot of the the things with, with their religion. So, But they're not like learning academics there, I don't think. So it's not like a Christian school? No. Whoa. I don't think I've ever had students who say they attend a Christian school and also our school. We have students actually kind of getting back into the why students come to our school in the first place. We kind of branched off from that, but there's so much more to it that I want to get into also. So the flexibility piece is huge. Um, We also have some families who like to do a lot of travel. So we'll have students who technically they have a home in Michigan, which means they can be enrolled in our school. But um, I've had students who were missionaries in Ecuador most of the year, and then they come back for a state testing season, and then they then they go back. Um, I had a student this year who spent the whole year in Saudi Arabia um, because they have family there and stuff, but they still have a Michigan residence. And and a lot of students just, they just go travel um, and their parents are are free to do that. So they do. And so with our flexibility, they can just do that, which is really cool. Um, We also have students who do intensive athletic training. So um, we used to have a school, a hockey school that actually used us for academics. So the kids would go during the day and they'd spend a lot of time on the ice, but then they would have a classroom where they would go and they would do their schoolwork and they were all Connections Academy students. And they had um, coaches and teachers that were in there to make sure the students were, you know, doing what they needed to do. And then they'd go back out on the ice. That's dedication right there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Those kids were so, 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 so busy. And we had students uh, similarly who would do like gymnastics and uh, tennis. We probably had a couple swimmers as well. Um, but I feel like hockey and gymnastics are the most common. Um, we've had students who were ex- were bullied a lot at their previous school. And so they wanted to be at home instead of going into the brick and mortar setting. So um, that's really great. We don't really have bullying issues um, oh. in our school, which is really great occasionally. But is there a way? F- I mean, that's interesting because you said they there is bullying. So is there a way for students to interact with each other? Yeah. So in the live lessons um, where they join their teacher at that set time, um, it's usually um, upwards of like 60, 70 kids sometimes, depending on the grade level and and the teacher and things. Um, So I'll normally have upwards of 60 kids depending on the time of year. And I have what we call a chat pod up and the the kids can talk to each other and they can answer questions that I ask them and and things like that. So there are ways for them to interact that way and they see each other's names. Um, The students also have the ability to web mail each other. 
Um, we have a school directory online um, that parents can opt into. There are a lot of parents that choose not to um, to be in the school directory, which is totally fine. And um, so a kid can search another kid's name and then there's a button to webmail them. And so they can um, mm. send them a webmail and so they can webmail back and forth. That's usually where the potential for bullying happens. But usually it's it's most of the time it's just like friendly stuff. And we've had some um, students get a little out of hand where they're webmailing back and forth all day long. And then the parents <laughs> are like, stop webmailing. You need to be doing your schoolwork. And, th and then they ask us, well, can you block them from webmailing other kids? And I'm like, sorry, <laughs> that, that's on you as the parent. If, if, if yeah. you're going to not want your kid to do that. Um, I could imagine that having your child enrolled in this would be very difficult. Like, I mean, obviously, you know, because you're on the other side of it. So mm -hmm. it's got to be difficult, difficult for you. Like, even though you're home, you have kids, too, that you got to try to watch and take care of. But being a parent who works a job. And yeah. I mean, because that's one thing we ran into with COVID and having my daughter uh, doing online school. It was very difficult. And we oh. had to have like non-qualified people to help. And yeah, absolutely. It was, yeah. It's, it is very difficult yeah. um, to be a working parent and also have a student at our school. And I think a lot of parents come in, come in thinking like, oh yeah, I work from home and my kid will just kind of do their thing and it'll be fine. <laughs> no, usually it's no. not fine. Um, <laughs> we have some <laughs> students who are fantastic learners and they are, um, they are, internally motivated to do the work themselves um, and they stay on top of their work and they go to their live lessons and they enjoy school and so then it's really not a problem um, but not every student is like that especially at sixth grade sixth graders are very immature sometimes yeah, I remember and when I was in sixth grade yeah um, <laughs> so just most sixth graders just do not have the capability to just do their schoolwork all on their own and do a fantastic job and learn everything they need to do. Um, and so a lot of parents come in and they are like, man, this is really hard. I didn't realize that it was going to be like this. And we're like, yeah, enrollment's not very good. And we really wish that enrollment would talk to us about some of the things that we wish parents knew before <laughs> enrolling at our school. Because <laughs> um, we have a lot of parents who just, they they had no idea it was going to be that yeah. way. Um, so it is very hard, um, especially at the lower elementary level. Ooh. Boy, I cannot even imagine the lower elementary <laughs> schoolers. There's no way they could do school on their own. Um, high schoolers, probably a different story. I'm sure you have yeah. a lot of high schoolers that are fully capable of handling everything on their own. We have a lot of high schoolers that have jobs too, and they can juggle it and they're, they're fine and their parent doesn't need to be on them all the time. But at the middle school and elementary level, absolutely parents need to be heavily involved. And so if a parent works, that makes it extra, extra hard, sometimes seemingly impossible. Yeah. Yeah, I could imagine. Um, do you think you'll put your kids in this program? Actually, yeah, we've talked about it. Um, and we don't really want to put our students in the brick and mortar public schools. Um, I want to be able children. to. Yeah, um, future children. Uh, so we have one. Um, hopefully more to come. We're working on it. Uh, but so, uh, with Cyrus, my youngest, and then whoever else comes along, whenever that happens, we, uh, hope to not, not want to put them in the local public schools, um, wherever we happen to be. I want to have more control over what they're learning and, um, and who they're learning from. And, and I want to, you know, make sure that their needs are being taken care of. Um, and so ideally, um, we would have however many kids we want to have. And then whenever um, Cyrus gets 
um, old enough to be in school, then hopefully I would be able to be a stay-at-home mom and I would be able to enroll him at Michigan Connections Academy and then we could use it for his schooling. Um, but a lot of that, you know, depends on, you know, money and <laughs> the economy and yeah. um, it, it, whatever job my, my husband has and how much money he can make and yeah, absolutely. Um, all of that. So. And uh, there's no tuition needed for this. Correct. Yep, it's free. Okay. Well, not uh, free, but, you know, it's in the tax dollars and all of that. So it's it's tuition okay. free. It doesn't cost anything extra for families to attend. Okay. And um, materials are also provided, too. Computers are provided. What? So every student who attends um, gets a school laptop to use. Obviously, when they no longer attend the school, they have to send it back. So it's not <laughs> like they get to keep it. Um, they're not brand new or anything like that. But um, so they get laptops and um, they get um, any other supplies that they might need. They get an art kit and um, any textbooks and workbooks that might come through. Wow. Those get provided. That sounds like a really good, a really good program. It I mean, is. And our school is legit. Like anybody <laughs> who's listening, like do not be afraid of my school. Like we are, and truth be told, like we're probably one of the best Connections Academy schools in the country wow. as well. Like our staff members and our admin are constantly looked to for advice and like what's going on at our school. What are you guys doing that would help other schools be more successful? Things like that. So we are, we are truly legit. Um, the, all of our teachers are credentialed to be teachers and um, we love what we do and we have students' best interests at heart and we want everybody to learn and, and be successful. And so, yeah, if I'm willing to say <laughs> that I want my future kids to be enrolled at my school, I, I think you can probably trust it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the thing. You got to get somebody who's, that's the hope, right? Like people want teachers that are like, like enthusiastic about teaching their, their kids. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't want a teacher that hates their job. And you seem very enthusiastic about what you do. And if there's other people that work there also that are the same way, then everybody's going to succeed. Yeah. Because then kids are going to enjoy coming to class. They're going to like the teacher. Like I remember going to like being in school, and especially middle school. It just seemed boring. And the teachers just seemed like some of the teachers didn't seem nice. Like they just, you could tell they were just like beat up. Yeah. overwhelmed yeah and to be honest that is totally the case too still at our school sometimes I'm sure like burnout is <laughs> is the thing yeah. like teachers are getting burnt out left and right so and what do you do when you have a vacation day or something like that do you get vacation days yeah i do so so not only is our program flexible for students it's flexible for us too which is mm. so awesome so actually a number of years ago my family had a planned trip to hawaii and um i was able to take off the entire week before my spring break um because my younger brother was also a teacher but our spring breaks were a week apart so i had the flexibility to say i'm just gonna take off that whole week before spring break as well as spring break wow. um so i was in hawaii for like a week and a half which is pretty <laughs> great um and so that was great and then if i ever have like a doctor's appointment or a dentist appointment i can just take off like two hours and just at the time that i need it and then just come back and, and just keep going so wow. we can actually take off time in, in two hour increments which is really great um and super flexible for that and if like for example i have a doctor's appointment but i have like a couple of live lessons that are supposed to be during that time i can just move them 
Um, so that's super awesome. Um, and back when cool. I was pregnant too, obviously I had a lot of doctor's appointments. Um, so I was able to take off the time that I needed and still had plenty left. And so, yeah, I get sick time. I get, um, personal time that I can use for whatever I want. And then in addition to that, we obviously have the school holidays as well. So right. like Thanksgiving, Christmas, spring break, all of those. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. Yeah. Lots of flexibility. Yeah. That's important. And like that's important for a family, having a family. And I mean, I, I work at, like you, you know, GM mm-hmm. and I don't have flexibility whatsoever. Like you're there, you're stuck there. Um, you can't just leave whenever you want. You have to use your vacation time mm-hmm. if you're able to get it, you know? Right. Cause you probably have to ask for it. You right? have to like, ask can for I take it, this off? Yeah. but like it goes by seniority. So if somebody right. with more seniority put in for that day, then you can't just put in for it and, and have it off. Right. It has to get approved. Yeah. So that's a really nice thing too, is that like, technically I have to ask for my time off, but I've never not had it approved. Cause the cool wow. thing is like, we don't need subs. So if you're gone for a day, you just take the day off and you reschedule anything that needs to be rescheduled that day. Um, and so no sub needed, which is super awesome. Um, obviously like when own- I was on maternity leave, I needed a sub because <laughs> I was gone for three months. But when it's just, you know, a day here, a couple hours, you just reschedule stuff and no sub is needed. So it's really awesome. That's really cool. I think that the educational system is going to start going that way a little bit more. I mean, obviously it has with COVID mm-hmm. and I don't know if they still give them the opportunity to stay home and learn from home. Right. I think it depends on but, the school because yeah. really that whole hybrid of like doing in-person and online, like I don't know how teachers did it because I could never, like thinking back to the time that I was in brick and mortar, if you expected me to do online learning too, that's a totally different beast. You can't just take whatever you did in the classroom and just put it online that's not how it works especially if there's like a lesson that the students need um or some sort of like group activity it's its own it's its own thing it's totally different so they had to do double duty and thank goodness I did not have to do that um I feel so bad for all the teachers that all the brick and mortar teachers that went through COVID stuff I I heard all about it and how miserable it was. And no wonder so many teachers are quitting because of how hard that was and continues to be. I was going to say, there's like a shortage of teachers right now. Oh, People don't want to be teachers. There, I think I just seen something the other day. Grand Rapids was announcing that they might be closing some schools. Mm, yeah, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Um, I actually read um, an article recently that said that as of February of 2022, so a little bit ago, but February, I think it was like... of teachers in America were considering quitting. Whoa. And at the start of that year, in August of 2021, that percentage was 37%. So, yeah, it's nuts. Teachers are quitting left and right. And if they're not quitting, they want to quit. I mean, what's the incentive to keep going? Yeah, it's really the only incentive is, you know, like job security. And having summers, <laughs> summers are big. Um, having that off, especially if you've got kids, um, wanting to spend the summer with your kids. Um, the flexibility of my job, super great. Um, and But if you're you know, in a brick and mortar, you don't really have that kind of flexibility. No, not at all. So that would be a lot harder yeah. for anyone in brick and mortar. Um, and I feel like teachers in brick and mortar, truthfully, they probably have to work harder than we do. Um, if I'm being totally honest, like they, they have a lot more of like actual solid, like I have to actively be teaching however many hours per week. Whereas for me, one, 
I have one live lesson per week that I have to plan for and teach. Um, but um, yeah, the, and and there's a lot more grading, probably depending on on the teacher, but there might be a lot more grading to do. Um, there's not as much flexibility during their day of what they can spend their time doing because they've got whatever their prep hour is, which is maybe not an hour, it might only be 45 minutes plus lunch. And that's the only free time that they have all day Oof. to work on planning things and grading and things like that. Whereas with me, I decide what my schedule looks like. And yeah, I've got my meetings and I've got my live lessons and I've got my bi-weekly live lessons that have to be put into certain spots, but I've got lots of open blocks of time during the week that I can use for whatever I need to do or whatever I want to do for my students. So that's, again, super awesome. Another perk of um, being a teacher um, at my school. But yeah, it's uh, the burnout is crazy. It's still really, really hard. It's really hard working with certain students and working with certain parents and the endless expectations and the endless to-do list, it never ends. And that's another hard thing about working from home too, is I'm never not where I'm working. Like I work in the basement. Um, my office is down there, but like I work from home. My mind has a hard time Just leaving in. work yeah. in the basement or on my computer or whatever. Um, and so... Um, my mind is constantly thinking about school and constantly stressing about school sometimes. And sometimes I'll have those phone calls with a student or a parent that just go really poorly and they just stick with me and I can't get it out of my head. And it just makes me miserable sometimes. Um, so thank goodness for some of my coworkers that I can consider some of my very, very <laughs> close friends because, oh my goodness, I could not do it without them. Um, and without the ability to rant and say, oh my gosh, this parent is driving me crazy. <laughs> like what do I do like what do I say or, yeah. or what have you um so yeah it's that that stress it's so hard being a teacher that would especially be very like knowing that you know I put in all these extra hours I put in all this extra effort beyond what everybody else is doing and I'm not getting compensated extra for it so yeah. it's one of those like well how much extra effort do I put in how like how much is too much like if I bend over backwards how far is too far mm. um and it's always the argument of oh do it for the kids and it's like yeah, okay but, yeah we are doing it for the kids but also like I have a life yeah I have a family I have a husband and a baby like at what point can I stop and say I've done enough well and at what point does it start affecting your life negatively because that's the point where you need to stop Right. right. Like having that that balance between work and and your your life at home is very important in, in all aspects. It doesn't matter if it's it doesn't even matter if it's work. It could be anything like a hobby, mm -hmm. but you got to have that balance. And if you focus too much on one, it's going to affect the other. So where do you where do you draw the line? Right. There is no line or yeah. like everybody draws the line in a different place. And so it's this this constant thinking am I doing enough yeah and you're trying constantly comparing yourself to other teachers and saying oh well that teacher's doing all this and this and this and this like this is I my, feel like I should be doing this, this is my perspective if you ask yourself that question am I doing it enough more than likely you're overdoing yeah like more if, than if you're a teacher who's actually thinking about that and that's a question that you're asking exactly. yourself yeah probably because you're obviously thinking about it actively yeah. and and you obviously like have the student's best interests at heart and you, you want to do right by them and you want to do what you can, but right. without killing yourself. Exactly. Yeah. And you can't control other people. Like if somebody, like a kid doesn't want to show up to your class, like that sucks. That sucks for you because like you care about that child. You want them to do 
their best. Mm -hmm. But if they're not willing to, like, you can only help them so much. Yeah, it's it makes me think about the end of each semester is like the push time where it's like you've got your typically what we do, especially with the content teachers, is we have a list of students who are failing our class and we know like what is the percentage of each student and we try to come up with a plan of, okay, like who can I act, who do I actually think I can help pass Mm. um, or who's too far gone or or what have you. Um, And it's those last like two weeks of every semester where you were trying to get like every single kid. And my husband hears me like on, on these phone calls and in the live lessons and like talking about how stressed I am. And he's like, if that kid hasn't done anything all semester. Why are you helping them? <laughs> if their parent does not care, why are you helping them? You're just driving yourself crazy. And I'm like, but, but, but it's my student. And if I can help them and I have the time to help them and I want them to learn things because that's my job, I should probably do what I can yeah. right um and sometimes it might just be that that five minute phone call that that all that's all it takes is for right. that person to think oh wow my teacher is thinking about me and she wants me to do good I think I'm going to log in and at least get something done yeah sometimes it does sometimes it's that student who's just really far behind and they just need a push to get moving and Very sometimes, sometimes enough. it's enough but then you have <laughs> the kids that like they have a 25 percent in my class and have not tried like a single big assessment all semester long. And I'm like, okay, all right, maybe we can work on this thing together. And that might bring you up to this percentage. And then maybe we can work on this together and that'll bring you up to this percentage. And are you willing to do this on your own? And then it's like, I I need you to do X, Y, Z on your own. But if you don't, I I can't help you. Yeah. Um, so, and you, you have to prioritize students and you have to decide like who's worth it yeah and who's not and and also it's that pull of oh but they haven't done anything and i just no i want to just let them find if they want to fail they can fail like but then you know this constant fight yeah of of that especially at the end of the semester and so we talk about like pulling kids across the line and it's like i don't i feel like i shouldn't have to be pulling anybody yeah and if you have to be pulled by a teacher do you really like quote unquote deserve to get across the line like if it if you didn't have any hand in really doing it on your own yeah I mean and that also kind of goes back to like that one-on-one attention with a teacher like it's good to have that and but the thing is is you do do that every every two weeks yeah with my homeroom students yep but sometimes those that half an hour interaction with the homeroom teacher is sometimes all that some students get because they don't go to the whole group live lessons. They don't reach out to teachers on their own. So half hour a week with one teacher, once every two weeks, not enough for some students, but their other opportunities are presented and they don't take it. And so that's a really hard thing too, is like with my live lessons that I run, um, I have 160 students, but near once you get into the school year, my live lesson attendance is usually only 60 kids. Less than half. Whoa. And it's worse at the high school level. Like they have <laughs> maybe, I don't know, 20 kids that show up depending on the, the live lesson. Do you guys have like teacher. a camera set up? Or mm-hmm. They yeah. use webcams? Um, so it's not like Zoom where every person is typically like supposed to have their camera on. Um, we do have what we call a video 
pod that we can put in our live lesson room and I'll have it up at the beginning of the live lesson for the first like five minutes as students are coming in and we're, you know, chatting with each other and we're, we're getting started. But I turn it off partway through the live, like once we get past that five minutes, because it takes a little bit too much bandwidth. And we do have a lot of students who don't have very strong internet. We got some students who live in rural areas and so they can't handle the video and the audio and something else that might be going on in the live lesson room. So um, we typically think about all of that and um, in order to help make sure there's no like lag and things like that in the live lesson room, we don't have the video camera on all throughout the whole lesson. Mm. But my audio is on because I have to be talking to them. I'm on microphone most of the time, but then obviously I mute at different points and, and things like that. Um, and students don't um, have too many opportunities to share their webcams actually sometimes if there's a little extra time at the end of a live lesson I'll pull up the video pod and I'll give them webcam rights and they can actually all well not all um some of them will turn on their their webcams and they'll like show off their pets and uh their artwork and any cool toys that they have <laughs> and some of them are really proud of their cell phones they'll hold up their cell phones oh, to geez. the webcam <laughs> um sometimes we'll we don't do a lot i don't do a lot of um microphone sharing especially because they would all just be talking over each yeah. other like so occasionally I might ask a question in live lesson I'll have I'll give students the opportunity to come on the microphone and answer it if they want to um, but that can be hard too especially when I have like 60 kids most of the time I just I stick to the chat pod and I just expect students to type their answer anybody who wants to share that's cool that's very cool is there anything else you want to talk about oh man there's I mean, there's so much to my job and things that I could talk about. Um, I feel like uh, there's still more, more reasons why students and families turn to our school that I didn't get to. Yeah. Um, so, for example, I had a student um, with a um, really severe peanut allergy a number of years ago. And so his local public school could not guarantee his safety. They couldn't guarantee that somebody wasn't going to bring a peanut butter cup or a, um, or a peanut butter and jelly sandwich to the cafeteria at lunchtime, even though they were supposedly a peanut free school. Um, so he had a lot of issues at his, um, previous school where he could have died, um, if it was bad enough. So he attended our school cause he could stay home. Um, so that was really awesome. Um, Let's see what else. We actually have some students with um, chronic illnesses that attend our school as well, where Cancer, they're yeah, like mm -hmm, um, where they can't um, attend their local public school, or they're just like in and out too much for sickness, or um, they're getting a lot of surgeries all the time, or things like that. So it's it's um, a lot better for them to stay at home, and they could actually do school in the hospital and and things like that too. What do you think the mental health rate is like amongst? your students because they're stuck home. Cause that's, I mean, obviously one thing that was exacerbated over COVID was everybody's mental health because they were all locked inside all the fear that was going on, like just everything, everything that happened, politics, whatever it was. Um, and we're, we're in the mental, we're in the middle of a mental health crisis right now. So what do you think their mentality and their state of being is like? I think it really depends on the student. Um, we have a lot of parents who make sure that their kiddos are getting active and they're going out and they're, they're, um, making friends and they have activities that they do. They do sports or they do music or, um, so they're socializing. Every, yeah. They're, they're doing something to get them out and, and socializing. So they're not just at home, but I do have a good number of students or I'm like, Hey, what have you been up to the last two weeks? And they're like, nothing I'm like, okay. Have you gone anywhere and done anything fun? No. 
Like, I feel so bad for those kids because they are just at home all the time with themselves and their parents and yeah. they don't really go out and do much. So um, I do feel really bad for those students. Um, but for the the parents that make sure that their kids are, are getting active and they're going out and doing stuff, those kids are probably doing pretty, pretty well as yeah. you can expect because they've got friends you, and activities. You and need things. to socialize. You do. I mean, yeah. even, I mean, cause I was homeschooled. And so one thing that like, I mean, at the time, if you ask me, I'm like, cause that, that's one thing that everybody brings up. It's like, well, how do you, how do you make friends? It's like, well, we, we go to church or we, um, like we were in like musical programs, you know, all kinds of things, but mm-hmm. it's still, I don't think was enough because church is only like two days a week. Mm-hmm. And then the music programs like once a week. And then, and then what? Like right. you need, almost need something daily mm-hmm. or at least every other day in sure. order like to interact with other people your age to, mm-hmm. you know, just, you need to socialize. Yeah. It's very important. Yeah. That's definitely a big um, I just said it's a big part of like why a lot of people would not do homeschooling or schooling yeah. from home or whatever because of that socialization aspect. Then my husband will come in and he'll say, well, do you really want kids, awkward kids who are not, you know, socializing appropriately to learn from each other who are also not socializing appropriately? <laughs> do you really want kids learning from each other? Um, <laughs> whereas like if they're at home, um, they can learn from you know, adults and, and, and their parents who can model how to appropriately interact with, you know, whoever. Um, so if you think about it that way, if you're actively, you know, making sure that your kids are, get that opportunity to socialize yeah. with other kids, yeah. but then that you're teaching them how to socialize appropriately with everybody, then they right. don't necessarily need that constant socialization of other kids around them and being poorly influenced by certain kids. No, and, absolutely. You know, I just think it's the parents' responsibility to make sure that their kids do something or, or or stay active or whatever yeah. it is. Not just like sitting at home and watching TV or playing yeah. video games all day long when exactly. they're not working on school. Yeah, because there's exactly. a little bit too much of that, I would say. And yeah. I think a lot of that too might be because of, you know, COVID. People were nervous about getting out and going to do things. And a lot of things were shut down. But now that things are kind of, you know, opening back up again, getting a little bit more normal, um, I think kids have more opportunities to be able to do stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, (laughs) one thing that, uh, I've been looking into a lot lately is the educational system and some of the things that they're teaching in Mm -hmm. schools. Um, I have a group of, (laughs) I have a group of moms coming on here soon to talk about, um, some of the things that, that is being taught in schools. And one of the things that they're concerned about is, the over sexualization of the curriculum um, that their schools are pushing. Is this something that you're familiar with as a teacher and something that you, what is your opinion of that? So do you know I, about anything about this? I do. Um, I don't consider myself super political, but my husband is quite a bit. And so he's kind of turned me on to like listening to, you know, certain political podcasts and watching certain YouTube videos and um, looking at like different Facebook groups and Twitter accounts and, and things like that. So I am, I'm quite familiar with some of the radical things that are happening across the country in different school districts. Um, and that is quite scary to me. Um, that's one of the reasons why we don't want our future children attending public um, brick and mortar schools, because we don't know what they're going to be taught um, and, and who's going to say what and, and all of that, because a lot of it might not be like in the official curriculum, but there are a lot of teachers who kind of have an agenda 
to teach certain things and make kids think a certain way. And, and that that's really scary to us. And we don't want any part of that. Um, so luckily at our school, there's, there's not really a whole lot of that going on, if anything at all. Um, the closest thing that I've run into is um, my curriculum changed last year. And at the beginning of each unit, the very first lesson is something on social emotional learning, SEL. Um, and so SEL is getting a really bad rap among a lot of groups of people. Um, what groups? Uh, mostly uh, more like people on the right, people who consider themselves to be conservative, um, a lot of people don't want anything to do with it and they're grouping it with a bunch of other stuff that I also disagree with. But like SEL is, that's that's some good stuff. If you actually look at the standards themselves, I need to be a little bit better about looking at them, but um, I've had them sent to me um, from like our counseling team who kind of, they're, they're big into trying to help our students with that social emotional learning. That's a lot of what the counselors do. So they share some of those standards that they're working on. And it's things like, do you know how to manage your emotions? Do you know how to talk about your emotions? Do you know what to do when you're stressed or when um, you're anxious about something? Um, Why is this getting pushback? That's a good question. (laughs) I... Again, I think it's just it's being grouped with like the CRT, critical race theory. Um, Is that something that's being taught too? um, In some places, yeah. What about Um, in your guys' program? No. No. Luckily not. So um, You're probably going to get some hate for that. Oh, yeah. For saying that. I mean, I think I think our school would get a lot of hate if we were from a lot of the families that attend because a lot of families attend our school because they want to get away from that kind of thing that's being taught in a lot of schools. Um, and they just, they want the math, science, social studies, reading, the basics. That's what they want. That's what they want for their kids and they will handle the rest. Um, and so we have a lot of families who are religious and, um, they attend our school because they don't want to do the brick and mortar public schools. And so if we started teaching like things like CRT, they'd probably flip a lid. Um, and so I think our, our enrollment would probably drop pretty significantly. Is that something that is being forced? To be taught in schools in, in brick and mortar? Not that I'm aware of. Um, I think I'm sure there are a lot of districts that are like pushing for it, um, especially in like the the bigger cities, you know, that would maybe be considered a little bit more liberal. Um, a lot of people want students to be learning certain things in a certain way. And so they're kind of get that's why it's getting into the curriculum in a lot of places or why they have um, like programs that that they're going through that are that are teaching things like that um but at our school um the closest thing that we are teaching that might be a little bit controversial is like i said my my curriculum changed and the beginning of each unit has one sel lesson social emotional learning and one of them last year i ran into was teaching pronouns and so i had at least like one or two parents webmail me and they said, we're really uncomfortable with this topic for a student to learn. Um, do they have to read this lesson? And I said, no, um, there's no assessment at the end of it. If you're really uncomfortable with your child learning what's in this lesson, um, have your own conversation about it and just mark it as complete and you're you're good to go. Um, so it's not something that like we require it's in the lessons, but I think the, the pronoun mention was just in that one lesson, I think. The rest of the lessons were on other topics in that um, SEL about the emotions and the organization and, and skills in school. There's like stuff about goal setting, which is all great. Yeah, absolutely. 
the whole pronoun thing is weird to me. Yeah. It's it's very strange. Like I, I as somebody who didn't I guess grow up with like having to learn all these different pronouns and really not have not not knowing people who identified in, as a different being or whatever it is, different pronoun. Yeah, different gender. Ge- different gender, say. whatever yeah. it is. It's it's weird and it's weird to me when you when you that that people have to publicly announce it. Like I went to MSU Federal Credit Union the other day and somebody had on their name tag, their name and then their their pronoun. It's like, mm-hmm. why? Why do we have to display that? Why do I need to know that? Right. I don't I don't understand. Right. I don't get it. I, again, because I've been kind of immersing myself in, in some of that information, I've learned a little bit about it. I'm, I'm kind of on the more skeptical side as well, um, quite hesitant with it. I, I, I didn't grow up with anybody who identified as anything but their biological sex either. Um, in college, I, I had um, a friend who ended up transitioning um, from female to male. I wasn't um, friends with Whoa, them during from that From female process. to male? Yeah. Um, but I found out by like looking at their Facebook a number of years, like after I had already graduated from college. So I, I didn't, so I, I, I knew them kind of like probably when they were thinking about it, but not um, when they were actively trying to transition. Um, I haven't met too many people who want, different pronouns to be used for them um I I get the the hesitation but I also get where they're coming from too because they're in this place of like I don't feel like how I'm supposed to feel or how I think I'm supposed to feel being a girl I don't feel like a girl I don't feel like a boy um I I feel like something in between or I feel like something totally different and I don't identify with those feelings because I am a female I've always felt female and I'm just fine with the way that I am feel like Um, a woman (laughs) good old Shania Twain I grew up on country music I'm all about it um but uh yeah so I yeah I I get I get it um I don't want to say too much more because I no, don't. I, well, I mean, it's one <laughs> I of those them coming after me. <laughs> no, they're they're already coming after us. Yeah, um, you. I this, know because you you've had like Ryan Kelly on. And, yeah, yeah. And I'm having some more people on that are. And this is the thing that this is really interesting because I've reached out to liberals. I've reached out to Democratic people who are running for office, and they do not want to come on podcasts. They do not want to have mm. open discussions because. I think it's these kind of subjects that they try to avoid because there's so much discrepancy attached to it. Like they, they don't want, I don't know. It's interesting because like Republicans or conservatives, they have no problem talking about these things. Like they're open to free speech essentially. Mm -hmm. Whereas like it's mostly the left that tries to control your speech and they don't want, they want to restrict some of the things that you talk about. Mm -hmm. So they're not as open to doing these things. Right. So I've reached out to them. They don't want to come on. But yeah, I've had like Ryan Kelly and I have some other like these conservative moms coming on the mm-hmm. program here soon. And um, yeah, that's one thing that no matter what you talk about, people are going to come after you because they don't like it. They don't like right. they don't like anybody just simply discussing it. Even if you mention pronouns like that, you don't agree with it or you think it, you don't understand it, you will get hate for it. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't understand it. But I want you, do you have to teach this at all? Is there no, no, this isn't something you have to teach. No, no. Um, and if anybody ever did try to make me teach it, 
I I'd quit. I would absolutely quit. Um, but no, uh, it's um, I am I teach science. That's what I teach. Um, now we have had um, some counselors. It really it's a part of our school to, to like try to get some SEL things in our lessons, but more just for helping students feel comfortable and in increasing student engagement. So um, we, as a sixth grade team kind of agreed it was something we were kind of already doing but we agreed that at the beginning and end of every live lesson we would have our chat pods available so that students could chat with one another and with us um, to get to know each other and get to know us and then um, that we'd also have some sort of like fun poll at the beginning mm. of every live lesson so one of my things was this year I did would you rather questions <laughs> so it was like would you rather be able to teleport or would you rather be able to swim underwater or like things like that so I did like silly questions like that and it kind of warms them up and That's cool and um get some feeling good and and having a little discussion too because the kids will talk about it in the chat pod as well of like oh well i i think i i would want this because of blah 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 um you so know, you can so. kind of customize the way you want to like i guess like teach my live teach lessons. your live lesson mm -hmm. yeah yep yep it's That's cool it's totally up to me um which is really great i have a lot of autonomy in in that way that's very cool. um and it helps me to be able to address my standards that are the most important parts of my curriculum. So then if I know, like, I need my students to understand um, body systems that um, cells build tissues and tissues build organs and organs build organ systems and then organ systems build organisms. I can run a live lesson about that because I need my students to know that. Um, so I'm not told by anybody what I need to teach in my live lessons. That's all up to me. I think that's one thing that's concerning for a lot of parents and even myself as somebody who has children that are in public schools is that teachers teach things that they're supposed to teach, obviously, that are part of the curriculum. But then they start projecting some of their uh, ideas and their perspectives to the children. And like, and, and it could be just anything. Like there was, uh, I know of an example of somebody um where a teacher was saying that guns were bad and that um, they should be illegal and like just going on and on about it. And it's like, why is that being taught in schools? Why is that's a teacher's perspective? That's right. pretty subjective. And it's not a part of the curriculum. Yeah, definitely not a part and of the curriculum. Definitely. It's a controversial thing. Yeah. Um, 100%. Yeah. Because those are things that teachers can talk about in their classrooms and it's not a part of the curriculum. Parents wouldn't know about it unless a student went home and said, oh, we talked about this in my classroom today. And that's right. how parents find out right. that, you know, teachers are teaching or talking about something that that would be objectionable. Right. Um, so yeah, that's again, one of the reasons why we don't want to send our kids to the, the brick and mortar public schools. Cause we don't know what the teachers would decide to start talking about with our kids and, and in front of our kids and at what age they would try to bring in things that maybe we'd want to wait until later. Right. Um, and I understand that like a lot of topics, um, they might just come up naturally based on whatever you're teaching about. Um, and, the kids might start a conversation about it and like you don't necessarily want to say oh well we're not allowed to talk about that so everyone needs to stop talking no, about this topic we're talking about something else so you don't want to like shut down good conversation no um but at the same time we don't want teachers to necessarily be driving the conversation a certain direction that right. that we would be um not wanting to talk about and that's one of the things too i actually have a little bit of um experience with that in that I actually have to teach evolution 
Mm. in my class um i started off um teaching a certain curriculum and there were like two or three years where i had to teach it and then my curriculum changed and i didn't and i was like thank goodness um <laughs> and then but then this past year it was brought back because now i teach life science and there are pieces of um evolution that are um in my curriculum and so being a christian who is actually i i don't believe that evolution is fact um and there are a lot of pieces of, of evidence that go against that and blah, blah, blah. But it's in the curriculum. I have to teach it. So I teach it because I know that it's a part of the state standards. My students are expected to know this. And so I teach it to them. But I am very careful in the words that I use when I teach this to my students. Um, because there are, again, a lot of religious students. I have a lot of students and a lot of parents that come to me when they're like, oh my gosh, we have to learn about evolution. I don't want my student learning this. And blah, 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 blah. we have parents that kind of like freak out about it, which I, I get. Yeah. Um, but then I can come from a place and say like, hey, actually, I also don't believe that it's a fact necessarily and so I, I assure them that like the way that I teach it I can't control what the lessons say but when I teach it in my live lesson room and the way that I talk about it is I make the students aware that like some scientists believe you know this stuff and here's some evidence that might point towards you know this um but I kind of leave it up to like I, I don't say like this is 100% fact and if you don't believe this then blah 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 you're stupid right. or whatever right. um and I can also identify with those students and parents who don't want it to be taught and I say look like I, I don't either but trust me at least the way that I teach it and the assessments that I write they're not going to make you go like say anything against right. your beliefs. Um, and so well, I word my questions on tests really carefully too, um, to make sure that they don't make those families feel uncomfortable, but that they're made aware of like, hey, this has to be taught, but you can use this as a learning opportunity to chat with your student about why you believe what you believe and find other pieces of information to bring in to support this is why we believe this. So they're not just like blindly saying evolution is stupid. Well, and it, it, I think it's also important too that kids um, at a very young age learn the opposing argument also, right? I mean, because even though they may not agree with evolution or even believe in evolution, but as long as they know, okay, this is what the evolutionists believe or evolution. What they is that what they would be called evolutionists? Evolution. Yes, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they would believe. I'm a creationist, so like you know, obviously you can you can have a discussion with somebody about it. Absolutely, yeah. That way um, you're not completely ignorant to to that side. Absolutely, that side of the argument. because if you are raised, you know, just thinking that evolution is a bunch of poppycock and and, <laughs> and you don't even bother like learning about it. Um, and then you get to the point where you do want to try to have a conversation about it. And someone's like, well, why don't you believe in it? Or, right. or what do you believe in? Why do you believe that? Then you're going to, you're not going to know anything. Yeah, you're going to fold. And yeah. And, and um, so it's really important to have some sort of backup for why you believe what you believe, have that evidence, have that that information in your head yeah. so that if you do have a conversation with somebody, then you can share that. Yeah. Um, Cause you have to know about the other side in order to really be able to have a argue your own side. Right. And then actually like truly know that you believe it. Right. Um, rather than just 
you know, saying, oh, well, this was what, what was told to me. So I believe it. Yeah. And that's the problem with like generate, like generations is like, at least for like, especially, especially in the religious realm, because like the realm that I grew up in was, they tell you evolution's bad. Like it's not real. This was bad. This is bad. This is bad. Don't even question it because we know that that's wrong. And so like most of my like childhood, I just grew up thinking like those things are bad instead of like learning about them and then coming to an assumption. Okay. That that's why that doesn't make sense. Or this is why they think that's bad. You, you can't be told that something's bad and not learn about it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I feel bad for, you know, kids who like kind of grew up like you in that, in that situation <laughs> where like, you know, they, they, they're, they're not fully understanding. Yeah, and it makes you ignorant as a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of makes me think too, like, um, it's kind of a, a branch off from what we're talking about now, but it's very relevant to the um, field of education um, with Common Core. Have you yeah. heard much about Common a Core? Talk to people about Common Core? Okay. So Common Core gets a whole lot of hate. And again, I don't understand why, because it's a group with, with stuff. So I think um, a lot of the part of it comes with the math. And so a lot of parents, especially, their kids will come home with math homework and they'll look at it and go, what the heck am I looking at? How am I supposed to help you with this? This doesn't make any sense. Why are you learning it this way? Because I learned it this way. And so this must be the right way. Um, And so I think a lot of people are confused about that. And so the whole goal of math nowadays, at least, is to help students understand why the math works. So when you're doing, you know, three digit plus three digit numbers, like sure, you can just kind of teach the like, well, you do this step and then you do this and then you do this and then you do this. But the student doesn't understand why they're doing it. And it doesn't actually make any like mental sense. It's just something you have to memorize and hope that you don't mess up the steps. Right. Um, And so it gets even more complicated when you're doing like long division and multiplication in things. And so um, way back when kids were taught, well, do these steps and then you, you have the answer. So these days, the whole idea is to actually teach students why the math works. So when you do this type of math problem, um, this is what's actually going on with the numbers. And so we understand place value and we understand like what it means to multiply or divide and and do this and that. And so um, students are being taught lots of different methods for doing a certain type of math problem. You're not just taught one way. We're going to teach you three different ways that you can do long division or long multiplication or what have you. Um, And so the students are being given options based on what makes the most sense to them in their head Mm. because they understand the math. And so um, that is overall way more beneficial for students to actually understand how the math works. Because realistically, who needs to know how to do long division when you have a calculator in our pocket? Like, Well, they always and, said you wouldn't. Right, exactly. <laughs> now look where we are. Um, so it seems silly to just teach the, well, you just do it this way. Yeah. Why do you need to know that if it doesn't I remember, make any sense to you? That's one thing that I struggled with in, in school was math because there was always one specific way they wanted you to do the problem. And if you didn't do that, but you got the right answer, then it was still wrong. Right. Yeah. So we're really moving away from that, which is great. And so then a lot of people will assume, oh, well, all these different methods, that's common core. No, actually, it's not. If you look at the common core state standards, they literally say, by the end of sixth grade, students should be able to add two-digit by two-digit numbers. That's all it says. Huh. That's it. 
um, when it comes to, you know, all the different ways of doing math, but like, well, they should be able to multiply decimals by this many digits. They should be able to, you know, multiply fractions, simplify fractions. So like, that's the bare bones of like, they should be able to do this type of math problem. They don't say how, they don't say how many methods they have to know. It doesn't matter. If the student can do it, they can do it and they mastered the standard. So I think what a lot of parents are upset by is the actual curriculum that has been chosen by that school because um, the curriculum is determined, determines what the teachers teach and how they teach it. Um, and the common core is something totally separate. Um, so actually, so back when I was figuring out like who to vote for, I was looking into the different candidates and I remembered Ryan Kelly and I was looking at Ryan Kelly's website and some things like that. And he's like, Oh, I'm gonna get rid of common core. I'm like, you <laughs> obviously don't know what common core even says. And did he say that in the podcast? That. I don't, I don't think it was on his website. I don't okay. know if he said it on the podcast. I don't, don't recall, but I did listen to him on your podcast, um, back when that was a, a newer interview. Um, but so like seeing that, that was one of the reasons why I know I didn't want to vote for him. Cause I was like, well, the common core is not bad. Well, then, like it just gets so much hate. That makes me respect you a little bit more because you didn't base your opinion of, let's just say Ryan Kelly because of what the media was displaying about him. You based it on how it affects you personally. Okay. I don't like that. He believes this. I don't, I don't like the fact that he wants to change this. I like it. It works for me. It applies to my life. That's why I'm not going to vote for him. Yeah, and absolutely. Most of the, most people just vote because they're like, oh, that's that's what he he was at the January 6th thing. No, nope. oh, I'm not voting for him then. Or or he believes in this. Nope. Or he's he's a he's a Republican. Not voting for him. Yeah, so I'm I'm the kind of person who actually like does my research and and my husband was like, You probably did more research on this election <laughs> than anybody does for any election in their whole life. I was like, Thanks. That's a, <laughs> that's really important though. I yeah, think I think you need most to be people informed. Did. I think most people did. I hope so. I really do. Um I think people are starting to realize how much politicians, even like smaller politicians, affect like our everyday life. Right. Absolutely. Cause, cause we obviously know it's not just like one person, you no. know, it's so like everything happening in the country. It's not, you know, just Joe Biden, like, no. or, or everything in it's Michigan is state. just Whitmer. <laughs> like it, because there, obviously there are so many people yeah. um, that are in play. And obviously we have the three branches of government and, but everybody has like, every person has their, um, you know, they're groups of people that they turn to for help and, and things like that. And the people they appoint into different positions. Yeah. Um, but I mean, obviously they're a figurehead and they're important to pay attention to. And obviously the people that they bring in on their team to do different things and advise them are going to be people that probably feel pretty similarly to them on, you would hope. on different things. Yeah. Although, <laughs> although actually having a bunch of people from different walks of life and people that believe different things that you do, that's probably important. I would say that's actually better. Yeah. Um, you don't want you don't want everybody to think like you. Yeah, you if don't they want did, it to be a hive mind. No. If they did, then that would just be bad. <laughs> that would be <laughs> right. really bad. Right. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So I did a lot of research and I was looking at um, every candidate's like individual, you know, what they cared most about and um, watch some interviews and some debates and things like that. So I was able to make an educated decision. Um, but yeah, I wanted to bring up the Common Core thing. <laughs> that's cool i didn't i didn't really um think that that was a problem i didn't really yeah i mean i guess maybe it's just because i'm in education 
And yeah. so I pay attention to a lot of different things that people say about education and about teachers and about the way things are going. But yeah, there's a lot of hate towards Common Core. Um, but I think it's totally unfounded if people were to actually go look at it and actually read it and realize, oh, so that's not part of the Common Core. So I just hate the way my student's teacher teaches it. But then, <laughs> then they might not realize like why and, and the background behind, you know, like with the math thing, being right. able to understand I, the math and why you're doing it that way. I think that's the biggest thing is the math, because mm -hmm. even my daughter came home and I'm like, how did you do that? How do you do that problem? Like, that doesn't even make sense. I don't know anything about this. <laughs> right. Yeah. I feel like You're with math. How do I not know how to do a kindergarten, <laughs> like kindergarten problem? This is ridiculous. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, too, like with the math that we do as adults day to day, a little bit of multiplication and division yeah. here and there. Yeah. And maybe if you're like calculating the area of the room for some carpet yeah. or something, you know, so there's a little bit of that, but it's very simple math and you use a calculator most of the time. So yep. I get how a lot of parents might like look at their kids' math homework and be like, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> so um, luckily for our curriculum with that is of course, obviously there's still plenty of confusion, but our um, sixth grade math teacher, Megan, she's fantastic. And she makes videos, multiple videos that go along with every single lesson on how to do all these different types of math. So if a parent is like, I don't know how to help you with this, like here's a five minute video so that ah. you can understand it and then you can help your student with it. That's very cool. Yeah. That and, and that's another cool thing too in general about our curriculum is that like we have students that are at all different ability levels as we kind of mentioned the students that try really, really hard and they do a yeah. great job, students that don't try, students who are just academically really, really struggling below below grade level in math and reading and that makes everything really difficult, um, especially when your curriculum is like all reading. If you are below grade level in reading, Oh boy, um, that is very, very, very difficult to learn from the curriculum when you're reading everything. Um, but so um, we have those students who kind of work through everything really quickly. They can. Like there's no timer that says you have to spend this amount of time learning this material. Mm. Um, and so the students that can go through it a little bit quicker, they can get through their lessons and then they can spend time learning other stuff that they're interested in. Um, and then we have the students who need to take a little bit longer and they can. There's no one sitting in the classroom saying, sorry, we have to move on. You have to keep going. They can take as much time as they need. Which That's is so important. Very cool. That's so important. I mean, because I was kind of like that middle person in mm -hmm. school it depended on what subject it was obviously math I struggled with but um, most every other subject I was kind of that middle middle kid who like I wasn't the first one done I wasn't the one who was the smartest in the class mm -hmm. but I also wasn't like the dumbest and I I tried yeah um and sometimes like if I was really trying I needed I needed a little bit more time absolutely yeah I was like that I was one of I was one of the smart kids in school I, I was tell. in some of the <laughs> I'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was in some honors courses and I took some AP courses and I got all A's and B's in my classes and things that's cool but when I was in those AP classes or in those honors classes I was the one working hardest um so I feel like I was always kind of on the border of well should she be in these honors and AP <laughs> courses or should be in the regular ones but then when I was in the regular classes I was like can we move on please <laughs> like or like we would be in group projects and I would be like one of the kids doing everything because I didn't trust anyone else to do it right. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, but so I feel you. So I, sometimes like I, I would sit in those advanced math classes because that's where it started was getting mm. in those advanced math classes. And I'd be like looking at the teacher and she'd go, you don't get it, do you? I'm like, no, because <laughs> my face, I cannot <laughs> hide it on my face. If I was confused, it was obvious. That's funny. That yeah. is really funny. <laughs> um, how long have we been going for? An hour and a half. That's awesome. That is awesome. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about, bring up? Hmm. Well, there's a lot of talk about, you know, the teacher shortage and things. Yeah. And, um, what do you think as a teacher, um, as somebody who works in that field, as somebody who feels more than likely that you don't get paid enough to do what you do, but what do you think could be done to save the teachers that we have and to even possibly hire? What what incentives could be offered? That's a great question. I think the biggest thing is more teacher pay. It really is because I think one of the biggest blocks of getting um, good people into education is knowing that they're not going to make enough money. Yeah. Um, so like me and my husband, we make about the same amount of money right now, but like we can't afford to buy a house. Like, um, obviously inflation is also, that's a whole nother thing. Yeah. So like, had it been like two years ago, we probably would have been fine. But now just with housing prices, it's like nearly impossible. Um, really but so is. like we both work so hard, um, and, you know, we work full time and, and all of that. And you'd think that we'd be able to provide for ourselves and provide for our family and be able to grow our family. But we're like feeling it right now. Um, so that's really hard. So um, I think the biggest thing is, yeah, pay. Um, because if pay was increased, then teachers would be less likely to leave and try to find another job. Now, it's also really difficult for teachers to leave, though, because you have a teaching degree and most teachers don't have experience or degrees in anything else. So like good luck finding a job with even similar pay really? to what you're earning right now. Oh yeah. Um, because when you're an educator, you're an educator and a lot of, nobody wants um, to hire an educator. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. And a lot of people don't realize how many skills we really have as educators. And I think that if more, um, more companies and hiring people were like more open, I think they would realize that teachers would be amazing employees and we can do so much stuff, especially given so few resources. Imagine what we can do, you know, um, as part of our job. Um, but it, it's incredibly hard. I've, I've kind of looked to see what, what else could I find? Cause there was a time when I was, I was about to get out. I was done. I was like, I don't want any part of this anymore. I want out, but I couldn't find anything. And anything that I did find, I would have been earning significantly less. And I can't do that. Yeah. Um. So like we wouldn't have been able to afford that. I want to be moving up in the world, not down. So I can't take right. a, a, a downgrade in my pay. Um. So being able to find something similar, it, it, it was really hard. And then there were a lot of times where like something could have worked, but I didn't have the right experience or I didn't have the right education. Um. Not quite Um. for whatever that job was. Um. I think a lot of things... Um are are kind of changing though like where you don't necessarily need to have a degree to be able to do certain things mm -hmm. um but then like, those things typically you don't get paid a lot depending on what it is depending because like, depends I, what industry i guess right yeah um i think for me if i could do anything else i'd just be like a secretary or an administrative <laughs> assistant we're gonna bank or something i took some uh, online aptitude tests back when i was like ready to leave um 
And that's what they were pointing to me towards. And I was like, yep, I feel like I could do that. And you I definitely a, could do that. Yeah. You have the personality to work at a bank. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they don't make a whole lot of money. There was actually an admin assistant that opened up at my school. And I told myself that if an admin assistant job opened up at my school, I would at least look into it. And they're like, uh, well, you'd probably only be making like $36,000 a year Oof. doing that. I was like, no way. And also making it full time. And could too. you imagine if you had student loan debt? Oh my gosh. And try to pay, Oof, man, no. So, so I couldn't do it. There's no way. Um, so yeah, it's, it's hard. I know teachers that get out. There are lots that do and they find something where they can make just as much money, if not more. Yeah. Um, but really, it, yeah, again, going back to what would keep teachers and bring in teachers, pay is huge. But the one thing that my husband um, brought up to me was like, you know, teachers don't make money. I was like, what? He was like, no, they don't make money. It's not a business. Like people aren't paying to send their kids to school. They're not like buying a product. Right. And I'm like, it's a public service. Oh, that makes so much sense. And so <laughs> what is determining teacher pay is the, the government. government. Yeah. That's what determines teacher pay. And, and taxes. so, mm -hmm. yeah. and so, and considering everything else that's also being paid for in the budget and where money has to go here and here and here and here. And I feel like, oh my goodness, there's got to be a whole lot of waste that can <laughs> be gotten rid of to be able to steer yeah. that money towards educators. But I just don't know if it's anybody's top priority. I don't think it is. But you think at some point it would become a crisis that we don't have teachers and that they're shutting schools down. Exactly. It's like, because it's getting worse. Yeah, it's it not going to get better. No, no, absolutely not. Not with the way that things are going with um, the way that teachers are being treated and, and you know, and, and inflation, um, meaning that teachers are making less money than they were making previously and things like that. Um, so how much yeah, does uh, like a, a teacher at a private school make less? They make less. They Way less than public school. Yeah. Really? Yes. Um, at least I would assume most of the time. So I had a friend um, who also graduated from MSU with me, I think a year ahead of me. And he started off at a private school and he was he was making less than I was when I first started. Wow. Um, so yeah, private school teachers make a lot less um, because that money is coming from the tuition being paid by families and if I, I don't know for sure, so don't quote me, but I don't think that private schools get money from the government for, for teaching. Um, and so what it's they do. fully so run on what the parents are paying. I think so. Yeah. And like maybe donations and fundraisers and, and things like that. So, wow. um, yeah, private school teachers make way less and especially cause their classroom sizes are usually a lot smaller, um, which is awesome. But also typically private school teachers teach a lot more courses too. Like my friend was teaching like five different courses or something, Oof. which Oh man. Is that even is that even really possible like to be able to yeah. do to be to be able to really teach the to the best of your ability? Is that possible? Probably not. Um because I mean kind of it probably depends cuz I know like you can make things easier on yourself if you have like a curriculum that's given to you. Um like there are some teacher books and, and curriculums where you get it and it's almost like a script. You just read from the script and you, you teach what's <laughs> in the book. And I feel like that's more common in like the elementary level, especially, um, and especially like with math curriculums. I feel like it was very much like that. 
Um, but so, I mean, if you're given a curriculum and you're given all of the assessments that you're going to use and all of that, I can see it being like possible for sure. But I, I imagine those teachers would probably be pretty stressed. But if you think about it too, elementary school teachers do that like day in and day out where they're teaching their kids math, language, art, science, and social studies in the same classroom. Yeah. Um, so that's another reason why I wouldn't actually want to be an elementary educator and why I would, I'm just sticking with middle school. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. But Oh yeah. So pay, pay I, is the biggest thing. Everything but. you're talking about is making everybody who's listening to this be like, yeah, I don't want to be a teacher. No, <laughs> honestly, I've had, I've, talk to people. There was a friend of mine who is about my age and he was like, I kind of want to go back to school for teaching. I'm like, Dan, don't, don't do, do it. it. <laughs> no. And, I, said, and he, he, I think he, he started, like he looked into it. He might've actually tried and started the program, but then he quickly quit. And I was like, that, Dan. <laughs> um, but anyway, so like if I run across people who are kind of interested in being teachers, I'm like, honestly, you probably just don't even want to go there. Yeah. Um, it makes me really sad because yeah. when I was in school, like uh, most of my teachers were okay. Um, but for high school, when I was in high school, that was the most pivotal moment, like the most pivotal time for me as a person. And like, I needed somebody, like I needed that guidance. And there was a couple teachers that I had that, that helped kind of like give me direction. And like, even to this day, like I respect the crap out of them. Um, there was one teacher like, like uh, specifically who made a huge impact on my life. And like, I couldn't imagine if like he wasn't working, like if he wasn't teaching, like, I don't know where like my mindset on things would be. Cause he, that's one thing. Like he, he would teach things, but, and he would like, he would bring up like a, let's say like we're talking about war or something, like something that would be considered controversial mm -hmm. in, in like, people's minds like like a parent might not want their kid to learn a perspective he wouldn't teach the per his perspective what he would do is he would get the perspective of the students like tell me what your opinion is of this and and then everybody would write their opinions on it and then we would discuss it as a class and so like by him doing that it forced me to like think differently like oh i see why that person thinks that way or this is why i think this way it's very important yeah that's probably why i do this podcast now but Maybe sounds like it <laughs> sounds like it fits very very well. Yeah, you'd be you could be on a totally different projection of yeah. your life if you had not yeah. had that teacher. But it you, you know it way. opened curiosity. You know, yeah. as opposed to having like this one 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 size fits all mentality. It's like okay, let's hear other perspectives. Why do you think that way? Why do you think a war is bad? Why do you think this war is good or whatever it is, whatever mm -hmm. subject? Right. Yeah. Why do you think guns are good? Why do you think guns are bad? Let's have that discussion as opposed to me telling you what my view is. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. We all, we need good teachers like that. Yeah. So, so yeah, as you were saying, it also makes me sad for me to even have to like tell people you probably don't want to go into education yeah. because like the thing is we, we need teachers. Obviously we, we have teachers. so many students that, that need to be educated. And obviously like if we teachers have are the teachers, forefront then, of, of people, mm -hmm. I mean, from Everybody was taught by age. a teacher at some point. Exactly. So every important person in the world at one point was taught by. And everybody many has that one teacher that they they just loved and yeah. that they, that impacted them the most. And mm -hmm. if we don't have those people, then what's again? What's the incentive to keep these people? Right. Yeah. How can we? Yeah. 
So let's see. Let's we need more pay. money. More money. Yeah, we more need resources. More money. Hundred percent. Um, what about resources? Uh, so yeah, resources is a big one. So luckily, like I feel like I haven't felt a crunch in resources necessarily at my school. Although honestly, I'd love more teachers. <laughs> That's <laughs> what we need is more teachers. I feel like if I had another person to help with like my students who need the most attention, the students are struggling most in my class, then I could free myself to do more things that would help all of my students. Like I could Mm. come up with um, more helpful resources for my students. I could make a bunch of videos that go along with my lessons to help teach the material to them when the lessons don't do a great job um, teaching the material and I want to teach it in a different way. Um, There's so many things I could do. So if I just had another person to come alongside me and help, um, that would be huge yeah yeah um and so that's huge but again you need you need more money and you need more teachers to be able to provide why couldn't you use like student teachers for that kind of that kind of role hmm well like somebody who's going to college and needs that because don't you have to do like some sort of internship or something Mm -hmm. like Yep. So I did an almost full year internship um, at MSU. They require that almost full year. I think a lot of colleges, they'll only require one semester of student teaching. Yeah. So do you think that's enough? Oh, no, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think that teachers would benefit from as much time in the classroom as humanly possible, Um, especially like right from the get go. Do you get paid for it? No. It's unpaid. Yes. Oof. Yes. You have to actually, you have to pay to do it because I had to pay grad school rates for the courses that I was technically taking while I did my student teaching internship. Like they, they, they say that you're taking these courses, even though I'm not like really taking courses. I mean, kind, kind of, I like, I had like what we called a seminar where it was like one, like the, the, that's okay. I, the, there was like a teacher coordinator that worked for MSU and then like, a few of us from like the local schools would like get together and we'd like do stuff throughout the week. And I had, I had people that graded my papers. Maybe I think I did have some in-person courses. I don't know. Forgive me. It was a while ago, but anyway, so no, I didn't get paid. I had to pay grad school rates for these courses that would then go towards a master's degree. So that was nice. But, um, yeah, no student teachers do not get paid. How much (laughs) does it cost to go to school for, um, something like what you went to school for? Oh gosh. I don't even know because I did have my Michigan Education Trust Fund. So I don't know what the total cost was. And it depends on each school that you go to. I think it's really based on like the credits. It's like a credit costs this much money. Mm. So if you go to MSU and you get 120, I think it's 120 credits to graduate with a bachelor's or something. Um, 120 in this program or 120 credits in that program. I think the cost would be the same. Um, you I want to say grad school is more expensive, though. You would think that there would be some sort of like governmental assistance for people who want to become um, educators because it's paid through the government. Right. And so I don't know if anything like that exists. I doubt it. You'd think that it should because you want educators right but again as we kind of talked about i don't think education is really anybody's top priority at the moment but with the teacher shortage getting worse i think that it might start working its way up to importance and i know a lot of people are stressing at like how poorly americans in general are doing it with with education like the 
were behind other countries or whatever. And I yeah. know Michigan like was really high and then went down to 30 something or whatever Whoa. um, in like math and reading. And so, um, and with COVID things have gotten worse. There's like these larger gaps um, in how students are doing, especially with math and reading. And so we have to be able to catch up with those things. So I'm hoping that education does become more of a top priority and, and, you know, there can be more funding and they can work on trying to get teachers into the profession and kind of getting back to what might help teachers stay. This would be very, very, very difficult to solve, but it's that respect piece because a lot of the reason why I wanted to get out was not because of the pay. It was not because of my administration or my coworkers. I love the people that work at my school. My admin are great. Um, and I always feel so supported. They always have my back. They always have my best interest. And so I've never had any issues there. Um, but the biggest thing and what caused me to want to get out was that disrespect from students and parents. It's just awful. Like those those moments where I've had a parent yell at me over the phone and swear at me because I caught their student plagiarizing and I talked to them about it. And then I'm like, hey, I just talked to your student about plagiarizing in my class and here's what we talked about. And they're like, how dare you call my student a cheater and and <laughs> and and um that they stole and I was like stealing what um but so I so I've had so many conversations where I do something that is totally normal and expected of me as an educator and that's part of my job and then they come at me and they're super upset and we have those parents and students that never want to talk to us they don't pick up the phone and um we have student students and parents that just they they get so angry at us over things and sometimes it's things that we did and it was a mistake um that I have to own up to and other times it's like this is totally out of my hands and I'm told to do it this way and I should not have to get this verbal abuse from you um and it's like we've, we've had some students where like every time I have a bi-weekly call with this one student like I get this pit in my stomach because I don't want to have to do it because mm. I don't know what's going to happen during that call it's almost like you need a moderator Yes. For, for, for like those kind of situations. Yeah. And oftentimes we do. That's where the assistant principals come in. Okay. Um, so I have an amazing assistant principal. Um, he has had my back so many times when I've had to deal with angry parents <laughs> over the last seven and a half years. And he's been there sometimes when we were in the office, occasionally we would do a phone call where um, we would be in the room together um, in order to, to have a phone call. Usually it's him following up on his own. That's um, an interesting fact, perspective but. though. When, um, when a parent would get mad at the teacher for accusing the, the student of plagiarizing. I mean, because if it is plagiarism, like why would they side with them? Why wouldn't they proactively try to figure this situation out? You tell me. <laughs> Help me figure it out, man. Um, yeah. I mean, I, it just seems like that's what a good parent would do. Yeah, it's really I'm not saying backwards. that they're a bad parent in, right. in all aspects. I'm just saying mm -hmm. in that situation, you're not doing your child any favors by siding with them and telling them that you know, the teacher's wrong. Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. that whole respect thing. Yeah, absolutely. So it really, it stems from that, like, well, my kid is a perfect angel. And if my kid tells me that they didn't cheat, then they didn't cheat. And you are a <laughs> terrible person for accusing them of that. And I'm like, what in what universe are you gonna believe that your child is telling the truth 100 percent of the time yeah 
Like, I never told, I okay, no, I told the truth plenty. I don't, I don't want to say I never told the truth. <laughs> there were times when obviously I lied when I was yeah, a kid. And there are obviously, what you do. Told, right. And, it's, and even as an adult, sometimes we tell lies or little white lies here and there, you know? So, but like, I honestly, don't. no, never. No. <laughs> Teach me your ways. I don't think I do. <laughs> I mean, if I do, I don't mean to. Right. I, I try not to. <laughs> I, I obviously, I try not to. It's honesty is the best policy always. Always. Um, That's one thing we're working on with my, my kids because my daughter, yeah. she's like, been lying lately i'm like uh, why are you lying people don't like people who lie right? don't do that you're not trustworthy no i want to trust that. you right exactly but, but anyway so yeah the parents um when they come at me over things like that it's like you're you're teaching your kid that it's okay to do this and to lie about it because they will benefit from it and they're just going to get away with it over and over and over and over again yeah um and so, yeah, those situations are really, really hard. And that's one of the things that actually led me into writing my own assessments. So most teachers at my school do not write their own assessments. Um, wow. They just use the assessments that are in the given curriculum. But I was having so many issues with cheating and plagiarism where there is um there are two websites that are very frequently used by students who they'll um, ask uh, whatever the question is on the on the website and then someone will come along and answer it. <laughs> Reddit? Mm -hmm. uh, no. Uh, Brainly and Jiska are the two most commonly huh. used. I don't think I've ever had a student use Reddit. You, uh, you will now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so Brainly and Jiska. And, and so um, as I'm, I think I might've mentioned that my curriculum, at least for sixth grade science and all the other ones, they are the same curriculum used by all of the Connections Academy schools across the entire country. So my 166 graders are using this curriculum, as are all of the other students all around the entire country. And um, what was what is especially unfortunate about the test is that this, it's not a bank of questions. The questions are not reordered. The answer options are not reordered. They don't switch up the essay questions, nothing. It's the exact same test for every single kid, thousands of them across the whole country. So one kid would go on and ask like the first question, on Jiska, and then some other kid would come along and they'd say, hey, here are all the rest of the answers to the questions on the test. Right? They, one is D, two is C, three is B. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Oh, man, I would have flourished in oh school. My God. <laughs> right? Um, and so that it's rampant, totally rampant. And then, of wow. course, obviously you can't at my school, I can't like catch a kid for like cheating on the multiple choice. There's no way to know if they cheated on the multiple choice or if they knew it or not. But when it comes to the essays and they copy and paste from somebody <laughs> on the internet, I can prove that. Um, so, but anyway, so I would like have, I'd have tests go out and then I would catch like, I don't know, 15, 20 kids cheating and plagiarizing on the same test. Whoa. And that would mean 15 to 20 calls to every student. And also their their parent. So each call may be lasting like up to half an hour, depending. Um, so I'd have to do that for every test, for every student. And then a number of those parents would get very mad at me. Um, sometimes the kids would cry, not because I like made them cry. I, I try very, very, very hard to be super gentle on these kids. Like these <laughs> yeah. are 10-year-olds here. And this is probably yeah. the first time they've ever been caught cheating on anything. A lot of kids get very emotional about it. So it's totally normal. Um, but, you know, occasionally I'd have those kids that would start crying. And obviously like, that would stress me out because then sometimes that leads the parent to be like, why'd you make my kid cry? And like, 
Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> that's that's but, so funny because yeah. this brings me back to a memory of when, when I was in second grade uh, when I lived in Florida. Mm-hmm. I uh, cheated on a spelling test and I had the list of words in my list. This is the most cliche like cheat ever. Of course. But I had the list like under like in my lap and I'm like like this writing and I got caught and they called they called the uh, my parents and I was grounded for the whole weekend. Yeah. It was the most embarrassing thing ever. Yeah. 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 So a lot of these kids feel a lot of embarrassment. Yeah. Um, As when ri- that rightfully, happens. rightfully so. Absolutely, you because you know, I think um, m- being embarrassed or like making other people feel embarrassed kind of like gets a. It's kind of taboo in yeah. today's society. You don't yeah. want to make people feel bad for anything, you know. Yeah. But at the same time. If what that person is doing is wrong or harmful in some way, and ideally, like, it would be good for that person to change their ways, how are you going to do it aside from making them feel a little bit bad about exactly. it? Exactly. Like, maybe not to yeah. the point of, obviously, you don't want to, like, make somebody suicidal or, or something no, like that. No. You don't want them to be super duper upset, but, you know, like, that's, that's what brings about change. Well, you don't want to shame them, but right. you want them to know that, Okay, this does not feel good. This this feeling of embarrassment, I don't like this. I don't want to be I don't want to feel this way. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to do it again. Exactly. And that's a that's an important emotion for humans, mm-hmm. for everybody. Yeah. I and mean, even when you say something stupid and people look at you and they're like and you're like, "Oh boy, I shouldn't have said that." Like that right. I'm embarrassed. Okay, I won't say that again. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's one of the key things too. Part of this plagiarism process is also trying to help the students realize, well, there's another way. Like I know you kind of felt like you were backed into a corner because you didn't study for this test. And so you wanted to get a good grade on it, which, you know, is totally normal. That's acceptable. I wanted good grades too. Um, But you need to go about this the right way next time. So next time before you take a test, study first um, and also realize too. And one of the cool things about our school um, is that we allow students to relearn and redo just about anything. So we have students who will fail a test because they didn't learn it, but we want the students to learn that thing. Obviously it's important. That's why we assess them on it. So when a student fails, we give them another opportunity to learn the material and try again. And so when it comes to essays, those are often one of the easiest things to redo because like we don't make them go through this big whole process of like, oh, well you have to complete the the study guide and then you have to meet right. with me to go over it and make sure you're ready for a retake. And then you have to do a retake test. Like we don't, I mean, sometimes if they want to redo a whole test, sometimes that's how it, how it goes. But with an essay question, it's just like, well, use these resources that I've given you to relearn the material and then just send me a new answer, but write it in your own words this time, please. Mm. <laughs> you know? Um, so if a student just writes, I don't know on an essay question, which happens all too often, <laughs> oy vey, like fail a test because you don't try the essays. Thanks. I don't know. Or I DK both. <laughs> and sometimes it's like blah, 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 on the keyboard. Oh my <laughs> like, gosh. Or like one, I had like a kid put in song lyrics one time. <laughs> But anyway, uh, yeah. So what was the song? <laughs> I have no idea. I think it was, I think it was a rap song. Oh, man. I think I I think the lyrics were mildly inappropriate. <laughs> I don't want to read this. <laughs> anyway, never a dull moment as a teacher. <laughs> no, never. <laughs> I have I have stories. Um, sometimes it's hard to remember them, also because I have a terrible memory. But there there are funny stories up there, like the student teaching the fifth grader who tried to glue his locker shut with a glue stick (laughs) that happened yeah oh that was one of the problem children 
um, <laughs> that year. <laughs> but anyway, um, so what was I saying? Oh, yeah. So uh, we, we allow students to redo it. Even if they got a zero mm. on it the first time, like you just have to write me a new answer showing that you relearned it and you can get those points. So I try to tell those students, well, you cheated on an essay question, but next time I'd rather you just put, I don't know, because then you can try again later. But mm, when you cheat yeah. or plagiarize, we have to go through this whole big thing. Um, and, and we have... Um, I think that's awesome. I think that's yeah. really cool that you guys do that because... I'm not a big fan of tests. Mm -hmm. I've, I've never been a big fan of tests and the whole idea of being able to take a test once and knowing and like trying to display everything that you've learned up to that point is intimidating yeah. and it can cause you to answer something wrong. Mm -hmm. Like you, you might be like, Oh, is it that one? Or is it this one? Yeah. That one? You question yourself. One? Yeah. yeah. And I don't think it's a, an effective way to find out if somebody knows something or not. Mm -hmm. I really don't. Right. Um, but the fact that you allow them to, if they say, I don't know, or even if the answer is wrong, to go back and relearn it and then come back with a different answer, mm -hmm. like then you, you can, you have a little bit more confidence. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause that way, then you don't have to freak yourself out about like, Oh, if I fail this test, I'm doomed. Right. Cause right. that's not right. how, how it is. So, um, I think a lot of schools are going in that direction if they're not in that direction already. Um, because that's best practice is letting students relearn things yeah. because the whole goal is to learn, you know, this set of standards. And if a student doesn't, you don't want to just say, Oh, oh okay. Uh, we're moving on. Yeah. <laughs> so, because yeah. you want as many students to learn that as possible, yeah, so if you they feel can, like you get left behind. Exactly. Too. So if they can prove that they've relearned it, and then we can reflect that in their grade, that's awesome. Yeah. I think a lot of people are nervous about doing that though, because there are times in life where you can't redo something, and so people think like we're setting kids up for failure with like, oh well, if they get to this thing as an adult and then they try it and then they fail, well, they can't do it again. Why you not? know, or whatever. Why can't they? Right, exactly. I'm trying. I'm trying to come up with an example, but like, for example, if you fail your driver's test, you you can you, do it again. You can do it again, yeah. and like, same. With, I'm I'm thinking of like I don't know, like the bar exam. I'm assuming you can do the bar exam again to be I, a lawyer. I right? think so. I, think I mean, so. obviously, there's certain things in life that you want to be able to do right the first time. Exactly. Certain things. Right. For sure. But, um. But overall, I think especially when kids are just kind of they're learning. Yeah. Um. Just let them learn. And encourage that relearning. Because what we want to do, we want to encourage that relearning. And it's really hard to encourage a student to relearn something if they're not going to benefit directly from it. Mm. So what we need to say is like, hey, remember, if you relearn this, we'll improve your grade. We'll add more points to your score on this assessment, whatever it is. And a lot of students will respond to that and they'll say, oh, I can increase my grade. Okay. And they'll, they'll be willing to do it. But if you just say, oh, I'd really like you to redo this thing but you're not going to get anything out of it aside right. from relearning it. A lot of them are just, they're not going yeah, to. Yeah, why would you do that? <laughs> right. <laughs> so you're, you're trying to, to um, help students learn, and, and that's one of the best ways to do it. Absolutely. And allow for relearning opportunities. Well, Aaron, we got to wrap this up. We're almost two <laughs> We're hours We're going in. a long time. Actually, okay. we are two hours in. Wow. Yeah. This is fun. This Would you do it again? Yeah, for sure. If you want to yeah. have me on, we can talk yeah. about all sorts of other stuff. Yeah. I, I, I have lots of other things to talk about aside from teaching. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you do. Um, most people do. Yeah. That's one thing I've discovered by doing the podcast is like, I've had several people say, I'm not an interesting person. I'm like, well, neither am I. But everybody's interesting in some way. Mm -hmm. In some way. If you, you just got to find it. Right. Yeah. Everyone's got at least a, a special niche that they're a part yeah. of or some sort yeah. of interesting part of their story that 
yeah. you know, can be helpful to other people. Absolutely. And this episode was a lot about education, <laughs> but I think it was important because I mean, especially now with the crisis that we're going into with the lack of teachers and even some of the things that are being taught, it's good to get a perspective from somebody like yourself, somebody who's in the front, like the front lines, essentially, <laughs> of the educational system. It's good to hear from somebody like you. And so thank you for doing the podcast and kind of explaining things. And um, yeah. You're welcome. I, I look forward to doing it again. <laughs> Me too. This was fun. All right. Well, thanks for doing this. And uh, yeah, that's a wrap. Cool.